should be easier than yesterday. Hopefully. We'll see how it goes. Um, hopefully our audio and all that kind of stuff is coming through good to you guys. Let me check something. I don't, I, let, me, let me make sure that I've got my right microphone on because I may not. But let me know whether or not you are all hearing me uh, loud and clear out there. No, it looks like I didn't put it on. Let's see. How does this sound? Any better? Same. Oh, same. You're good. Okay. Hopefully it's yeah. good, still going out to folks good out there. All right. So as we usually do here, I'm going to remind everyone to go to HankStrange.com, sign up for the email list. Good way to keep in touch with us, especially if uh, things go sideways here, which you know, uh, it's tilting a little bit, but I don't think it's going sideways yet. Um, <laughs> there on the, on the website, you will find a link that will take you to the Ballistic Ink where you could get uh, cool shirts like this Lot Lao shirt here. If you want to get the patches, the patches can be bought off right off the website. And, um, you know, like I've always told you guys, as long as we've got these Gunvolt stickers, Lola will throw some of those in there and send it out to everyone. Um, I want to thank everyone for joining us. Big shout out to Walther Arms for sponsoring the podcast here. We really appreciate those guys. Let me load up my guests here um, into the... And onto the screen. All right. I think we're good to go. I think we're feeding through to everyone. Uh, smash those thumbs ups. Ring the bell. Let's press the open and get going here on this. Welcome back to the Hank Strange situation. Make sure you guys Life subscribe to the channel. The and Ring the bell. Thumbs up. All that kind of good stuff so you can be notified when we go live. Okay. Everyone has to do jazz hands, including you, Ron. I know you're new, and I didn't tell you about the jazz hands. There you go. <laughs> jazz hands. Mark, uh, I, don't, I didn't see a good jazz hands. Oh. <laughs> All right. We are live. I hope you got your big girl panties on. This is episode 669 of the Who Moved My Freedom podcast. Uh, our title tonight is 2020 Election Shenanigans. As well as our special guest is Ron Holmes of Riker USA joining us. Uh, you know, Riker USA, you, you should have seen the Riker grip. And we're going to talk about that, how we're going we're gonna to get to find out how Ron came to start this company and all that kind of good stuff we're going to get into. We've also got my friend Mark Beard Almighty joining us. He was here last night. And we also have Rolando Puerto Rican Pistolero, who was here. He was working but uh, some audio technical difficulties. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we got Joanna most of the night. Uh, but yeah, he's here. We're going to talk about the elections, all that kind of stuff. Welcome to the show, everyone. Welcome to you guys out there. How's everyone doing today? Doing good. Good. Everyone good? Okay. Ron, this, hey. is, your, uh, this is your first time here on the show. I'm, I'm guessing you've done podcasts already. Yeah, yeah. And thanks for having me on this. This is... Uh, I'm pretty excited about this, you know, from we like you and I had talked a few weeks ago on the phone and, um, you know, it's, it's the right time, you know, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for this. Oh, absolutely, man. Same here as well. I know we initially met, um, oh, some, I don't even know how long ago that was <laughs> Yeah, a while ago, but we just really didn't, uh, get a chance to get anything going. So I'm, I'm glad that we, Met up again thanks to a mutual friend, and we're able to uh, actually make things happen. Sometimes it's just timing, you know? Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, the, everything happens the way it's supposed to. So, um, before we get into everything here, um, what time did everyone, like Ron, when did you, you know, are you a political beast? Do you staying up, you know, counting states and stuff like that? Uh, I... <clears throat> 
we we stayed up for a little bit. You know, um, my wife and I actually were episode 16, season four of The Blacklist right now. So we're just kind of like going through that. And we looked at And it's funny is, is if you watch those first two seasons, mm-hmm. it's like almost what has been happening over this last year is happening, has already happened in The Blacklist, which was mm-hmm. – came out in like 2013 or 14. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, we, we were watching out. We were looking at our phones, looking at my laptop. And um, then we hit a point like, I don't know, like 10, 15, 10, 30. We're like, mm, you know what? Let's just go to bed. I woke up in the middle of the night and used the bathroom, come back. And I was like, you know, let me look at my phone. It was three o'clock in the morning. And I was just like, you know, I, I look at it like this as like, is I didn't think that it was going to be a clear uh, answer the next day. The, the foul play, the shit, whatever. And um, just sitting here looking for the same, you know, reliable, credible information that we all are and um, hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rolando, how was it for you? Uh, well, geez, I don't even know what time we went to bed. I want to say it was like three thirty or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it was pretty crazy. I was watching like th- I was watching your feed, obviously, with Joe there and trying to give updated information. And then I had like two other screens on watching, um, you know, like the blaze. And I just kind of gave up on Fox News once they got into their shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would periodically check on on their map and things like that. So. Mm-hmm. And obviously today I've I've been working from home, so I've just been in it <laughs> in it all day since I've had the time to yeah. pay attention. Yeah, good work on your part and Joe, as well as all the folks who were here yesterday. We had a lot of people. I'm looking at the list. Mr. Guns and Gear, Sean Curtis, we had Marge Ture, we had Harrison from Harry's Holsters, uh Kevin Dixie, Rob Pincus, uh American Gun Chick, John Crump, Tony Simon, mm-hmm. Latino Locked and Loaded, of course, Rolando, yourself, Puerto Rican Pistolero. We had mm-hmm. 13C Joe came on. He actually, well, I don't know if anyone checked, but but he was pretty sure he was going to win last night. I don't know if we checked to see if the final numbers came in in Indiana, but he actually, I believe, won a council seat there. Um, so, yeah, everyone was working really hard. I really appreciate um, everyone who came on last night. If I didn't say it or if I didn't say it enough, I'll definitely say it again. You guys, uh, it was awesome. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and one of those people was my friend Mark. Uh, Mark, how was it yesterday for you? Super intense for me. Had a busy day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you, uh, I'm just curious, you had money on this election, didn't you? I did. Oh, okay. All right. So it, that's all in hold. That's all holding, right? Because you've got to figure out exactly what happened, or what's the deal with that? Uh, it would take a miracle for me to win. I had a long shot bet. Um, I I did pretty well in the last cycle. Uh, you know, Trump going into the primaries was a huge underdog, and I placed a small uh, wager, but it, it paid off pretty big because he was such a huge underdog. And then I kind of rolled that into the actual uh, general election, which he was a pretty fair underdog in that. And, of course, I hit that. Um, This year I decided to find the the long shot that I thought was – had the best expected value for me, uh, the Mm -hmm. the best bang for the buck, so to speak. I bet um, 301 to 315 electoral votes for Trump Hmm. at 12 to 1. 
So had he had a repeat um, of 2016, of course, that would have paid off. I, I don't see a path uh, for that. I miscalculated Arizona. Uh, I had Trump with a slight, and, and I say I miscalculated, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen. Um, who knows but, what happened? <laughs> uh, but I yeah. missed that, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't see a path for me to win uh that wager without Arizona. I mean, even if, even if he were to sweep the blue wave and some other things, it's going to be difficult for me to reach that. I'm not upset. It was a a shot at a big, long shot, a big payday. So it's, it's uh, that's not the end of the world. It did okay on some other, other things with the election and the economy and stuff. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad to be honest with you. I'm glad it's over. I mean, uh, man, I'll tell you, it is a lot of work looking at all the data, trying to make sense of, Polling data, which I don't put a whole lot of stock in, and I, I, I haven't. I didn't even really in 2016. I don't think they understand how to poll for Trump's electorate, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Um, so I, I didn't put a lot of stock in that. But when you start looking at voter registrations and the delta increases in state to state and counties to counties, mm-hmm. you can you know you can pinpoint it down to 20 or 25 counties that really are going to make the decision one way or the other, kind of like I was talking about in Georgia with Cobb County being such an outlier, you know, I completely missed that. I modeled that much, much closer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, I, of course I modeled it assuming everything was going to be legitimate and above board. And we have yet to see how that's going to work out. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad it's for me. I'm glad it's over. And now it's just up to them to figure out what's going to happen. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, it's kind of over, but not really over, right? Everything got suspended last night, and I think that's where we finally broke off, like around 3.30, like mm-hmm. everyone is saying. Um, I think Nevada suspended everything, and then this morning they were saying that they're not even going to start counting today. So it was, they were going to wait 24 hours before they even started counting. Is that still what's going on, Rolando? Do you know? Yes, I believe... Uh... Uh, the most recent thing that I heard is that we may get Georgia and Nevada tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, Nevada is extremely close. I think it was within like 8,000 votes the last time that I heard. Mm-hmm. So they're not sure how that's going to break, obviously. Uh, Arizona is supposedly back in play because uh, last night, I think um, New York Times or CNN basically admitted that when they were calling it at 95%, it was really at 86%. And there was like more than half a million votes pending. So Arizona is still up in the air. It may break for Trump uh, because of the, I think one of the major counties left, they're pretty sure broke for Trump in 16. So they think he might squeak by with like 20 or 30,000. Pennsylvania, well, if you guys saw earlier, basically both Trump and Biden basically said that they won today. And so Biden Biden basically just came out and said, well, uh, we're going to win, but we won, but we're not going to call it yet, but we did. And he kept going like back and forth, like saying that basically Mm -hmm. uh, he should get gigged for that. If people were angry at Trump last night for trying to claim victory, then they should be equally angry at Biden for what he did today when there's no results yet. And then the Trump campaign basically called uh, Pennsylvania and they said they won it, even though they're still counting votes there. Yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of, and then they're going to sue Wisconsin. uh, They're going to ask for a recount Wisconsin and they're going to sue. They're, they're taking uh, Michigan to court to stop the counts there to make sure that they have uh, watchers Mm -hmm. to count the polls. So that's kind of where it's at right now. Yeah. Pennsylvania as well. They're going to file suit uh, against Pennsylvania, specifically Philadelphia, Philadelphia County. Um, 
I on the I, I agree with that um, uh, layout that you had there. I, I'm not so sure about Arizona. You know, I obviously anything can happen. I, I just think with Arizona, with him, you know, we know the exit polls say he lost with uh, with white males. He gained yep. almost everywhere else, and in some ways, big. Um, I think missing the white males and and uh, the over 65 vote in Arizona swinging so hard for Biden. Even with some recounts and some things, I think that that's still enough to keep Arizona in Biden territory. Now, mm-hmm. everything, that's assuming they don't sue them and go back. I'm just saying if they complete the count the way it's been going, I don't see Arizona going for for uh, Trump. Um, I'm, I'm a little concerned about North Carolina. You know, they're talking about they're not even going to update their count till the 12th. Yeah, I saw uh, the 12th of what? November of November. Okay. So yeah, you know, a week and a day. <laughs> yeah, I saw some place said that they don't have to do anything until December, but I. I Technically, that's when the electoral college has to has to vote. So they have until like December twelfth or something like that is the limit, I think, legally okay. that they can do that. So what if so all these uh, pink states like uh, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Georgia, if those did go to Trump, does he have? Does he get it, or it's he has he. Enough? He has to get Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina, and then he has to get either Nevada or Arizona. He must. He has to, and then he'll either he'll either end up with like two seventy eight or two seventy two. I think depending so on that combo. That, are you giving Wisconsin and Michigan to? Yes, Wisconsin and Michigan were given to Biden already by most accounts. So mm-hmm. that's that's including that. So his path to victory, he has to take Arizona back, or pull Nevada, and then if he pulls Nevada. In my opinion, that's the nightmare scenario because you'll have 272, and technically, electors don't always have to vote for what their state says. I think some states are different, so I could see like a rogue, a rogue electoral college deal with that, where you have like two or three electors do that. Because I, I know 274 if he takes. The yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. So yeah, it might be that because mm-hmm. I oh I think they gave him um, uh, two votes from Maine or something like that too. When the main got when Maine got split, so that made the difference. Um, so yeah, that's that's the kind of scenario that I'm afraid of because I know that Megan Whitmer in Michigan and a few of the other blue state Democrats tried to make an alliance where they would give their popular vote, uh, their electoral college votes to whoever won the popular vote, which technically is not unconstitutional because the constitution just basically says the states run their elections and they give us their results. So technically they can do whatever they want Mm -hmm. when it comes to that. Uh, but so that's my fear. If it's too close, I could see them just going to the next level and trying to get a few electors to, to flip. Even though I think that would be pretty dangerous for those electors to do that uh, on a personal level, if anybody ever found out who they were. Yeah. Um, so, by, by the way, Ron, what state are you guys in? I'm in North Carolina. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how does yeah. that feel, Ron? <laughs> well, I, I tell you, like for local politics, you know, again – these are just my views mm-hmm. for here, you know, off of our team. But um, I was not happy that we're keeping the same governor. I was extremely happy that we're getting Mark Robinson as our lieutenant governor. I love that dude. He is amazing. And how he came into, in, you know, into that position. Uh, he, wa- he wasn't a politician. He wasn't even doing it. He just stand up and spoke at a town meeting about some things that he didn't agree with. And his video went viral. And then from then, I guess he was approached and they're like, hey, we want you to run for some type of office. 
Mm-hmm. So really happy about that one. Um, yeah. We're on at Wilmington. I'm on the coast, and it's um, uh, you know, it's a very it's 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 you know, it's a college town. It's a beach town. Uh, we're 50 minutes down the road from Camp Lejeune. We're two hours from Fort Bragg. You know, so looking on the map, it did show us as as being red or pink or whatever. Uh, doing the eye test around town, you definitely see a lot more, um, you know, a lot more Trump stuff than you do, uh, you know, you do for the other guy. And, um, you know, you look at it like that and, and you think, oh, all right, yeah. And it's funny, it's just like think about North Carolina. We are a castle doctrine state. We are an open carry state. You know, we're very, you know, uh, you know, uh, it's still there's still parts of the interior of the state that are considered Bible Belt, mm-hmm. uh, where there's actually dry counties in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in, in general, typically very conservative. The fact that North Carolina is now a swing state is I don't know. It's just weird. It's weird. And, yeah. and, and I'd be lying if I didn't say that we woke up this morning and I'm already looking at houses and property out in uh, southern Wyoming and Idaho. <laughs> okay don't yeah mark uh mark i know has already been doing that before this right yeah yeah so um it's it, you know what kind of where's north carolina always been like i always felt north carolina was a it was a gun place was red you know uh i, I thought it was I, more solidly red than florida I, I always I have thought no. that too. We brought Cooper in. Cooper got voted in a while ago, and I think um, we honestly thought that he was done. This one, Dan Forrest, who is the, is the current lieutenant governor, was was uh, running against him. And I know that Cooper did the big thing with the um, the HB the the one with the. You broke up there, and um, you know all that. And that was a big the what. You broke up for a second. You said he did the what? Um, he did the thing with the bathroom, the general, the gen, the the gender oh. bathroom thing across mm-hmm. the board and everything like that. And then now this, the way he's been handling the the corona stuff, like he created um, uh, phase two point five uh, out of three phases. He's mm-hmm. making up his own phases on that. So in between there's, there's phases, some, yeah, in between phases. So I think we're now in like two point, um, you know, two and three quarters. Phased, you know, and it's it's kind of annoying. Um, and we really just want to get back to normal. And and you know, I, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't. I've lived here since '06. I've only been a resident here since 2010, when I retired. Um, but typically, it's been a very comfortable state. One of the reasons is just because uh, I think it was 2010, 2011, we became a Castle Doctrine state, you know, and that in, in myself, I won't live in a state that's not Castle Doctrine. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. But, mm-hmm. um, and it's very pro-gun state and very just, uh, you know, very patriotic, uh, even across the state too, because we do travel, we go out, snowboard out west and go out there a lot. But, um, yeah, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so let me see here. I've got a couple. There's a couple of things that were um, that were. How far out. is the uh, DC Metroplex from North Carolina? Because that would, to me, that would help decide. Because Virginia definitely has gone blue because of how the 
with the expansion of the federal government, there are just so many more federal workers now that Virginia, they live in Virginia. So I think Virginia is never really, unless you decrease the size of the government and you make those, <laughs> you uh, unemploy those folks. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Virginia is ever going to go back <laughs> just because of that. Where I'm at, I'm between, where, where I'm at, I'm about five and a half, six hours uh, okay. to, to Quantico. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quantico is 30 minutes from DC. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm just wondering if any of that spillover from Virginia has gone into North Carolina and kind of like like a contagion. But North Carolina is nice in its own right. You know, it's got nice cities. So people are probably just moving from New England down there and just taking it over slowly, like everywhere else. Unfortunately, yeah. the, the secret gets my, out. My my wife's a transplant from Jersey when she was a teenager. Uh, her family moved down here. But you see a lot of like Jersey, a lot of New York, but uh, but a lot of them that moved down here leave they do it correctly they you know they don't they don't try to california or north carolina they leave that stuff there and come down here for the reasons why uh you know we are the way we are yeah mark did you want to say something here yeah i think one of the things that you need to remember uh you know north carolina is a very large college state yeah you know what i mean they've got unc chapel hill they got duke uh that's a tremendous influence you have people come in they uh, register to vote once they they become students. Uh, th- that turns blue. They stay. That that makes it even bluer. And I think that that's something we've seen over the years because you, you know so a lot of what you said is right. Over the years, North Carolina has been pretty solidly red. I mean, obviously there's been exceptions over time and things, but you know, pretty gun friendly, pretty that. But as academia has moved much, much further to the left. And as it has grown, the student populations have grown. I mean, that's the way these universities can make more money, build more dorms, build more classrooms, raise the price, let more people in, turn more blue. And I think that's the thing you're seeing why it's so close. I think if you went back and had the population of the 80s, uh, late 80s, early 90s in the college towns, it wouldn't even be close. So I think that's something to, to keep in mind, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I kind of realized something was weird with North Carolina when um, I actually was out at SEMA show, and uh, you know, which is a car thing, and there were these guys that build because uh, Walter's into mini bikes, right, and dirt bikes and stuff, and there were these guys who were really big on YouTube. So you know, he was fans of theirs, and I was talking to them, and I was like, "Man, you guys are in North Carolina, you know, we got to get together and shoot some guns and stuff like that," and they shut down the moment that I said guns and I was like and it felt like it got weird <laughs> and I was like oh what's up with you guys I thought you guys were gun guys and not and it got weirder and then I was like oh <laughs> maybe I should leave it really got it was just a, like a real really weird situation and after that I was like wow how did these guys get you know I would have expected that if I was talking to someone from New York or something like that Mm-hmm. You know, but North Carolina, I was like, wow, how did these guys get uh, this weird just because I mentioned guns, right? And, and typically at, at a thing like SEMA show where there's, there's all these truck guys and all, it's no big deal. I've talked to guys in California and they're like, yeah, man, we love shooting guns. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so after that, well, I was like, how did I misjudge that? I thought North Carolina was different. You know, I, I, so I've run my own firearms instruction for the last 11 years. And in this last five and a half, six months, I've trained over 350 people um, of of that. Because I also in North Carolina, we have the uh, to obtain a concealed carry permit. 
You have to take a course. Uh, you know, at, to be an instructor, you have to go through the absolutely painful NRA uh, pistol instructor course. And then you have to go, then you can go to the North Carolina Department of Justice course to get your certification. The course is how you do things. I have a very high standard of how I do it. Um, you have 150 rounds. I, it was 300 because of this. I've cut it in half to 150 and I actually think I've actually made my class better. Uh, 30 rounds of that, which are the last 30 fired or for their qualification. So we do, I do, essentially we have a red book. I say we do the red book on the range. Then we sit down and we do two hours of Castle Doctrine. I bring in a representative from U.S. Law Shield who talks about self-defense. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, of that program, of in, you know, being part of their team. I'm one of their instructors. And, um, you know, and then that, so that's required. So the things that you can't fudge on is you, you have to do the, the 30 rounds. You have to take the written test, which is 20 questions and not hard. And you have to do two hours of law. Everything else, you kind of have a lot of room. So I have a very high standard for my course. Um, of that 350, I would say 200 were, were, were new shooters. And almost 175 of those were all women. And they're all first-time gun owners. Uh, I have, I've got people who are taking my class, hit me up, like, I don't have my gun yet. I'm waiting on my pistol purchase permit. And I rent, I rent pistols for, for my classes. So you have, you have, you have three ways that you can buy guns in North Carolina: person-to-person transfer, which is still is legal here, um, and to uh, to buy rifles and shotguns, you go into the gun store. All you have to present is your driver's license, and that's it. They do you fill out your form, they do the background check, you're good to go. To purchase a pistol, you need you have to go to the sheriff's department and you get a pistol purchase permit which is uh, one permit per one gun, or you can get a concealed carry permit and then you don't need those, those p- purchase permits. You can go down and buy 10 guns at one store, go to the other side of town and buy 10 more guns. So that's um, almost like a have New York- a policy here, I more than four pistols in a week. Okay, so that's almost like a New York policy. If you don't have the CCW, you then you have to get a permit for every gun you buy. That sounds like New York. Yeah, so one of the things that they just did, they just changed with your pistol purchase permits. I found this out last week. Um, They're actually making you do your fingerprints, and they do a background check on you for a pistol purchase permit now. The same that they do for when you do your concealed carry permit. Hmm. And the backlog on it has been, is just, is crazy. My sister-in-law, she applied for hers on uh, September 16th, and her date to go down to drop her paperwork off, do her fingerprints, is March 1st. And then, and then it's going to be another three months beyond that before she probably actually receives her, her permit. Okay, yeah, that's not, that's a blue state. <laughs> that's a blue, that's a, uh, yeah, maybe there's some holdovers, but I don't know if it's going to, it sounds to me like a lot of things there are getting worse. Um, that's interesting. I, well, I never I realized that. In my county, I think because adjacent county, uh, Pender County, isn't doesn't have a backlog like that. They're 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 pretty quick. I think one of the the things that created this big backlog is was obviously was the corona. You had the sheriff's department shut down, limited limited people in there and everything like that. 
they stopped processing certain things. But at that same time, the public was now like, I need to buy a gun. I need to buy a gun going out there and then trying to learn and figure out how they have to do it. So that was the influx there. So it's the delay is because they're still I think they're still playing catch up from four months ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, listen, I think that I think you froze there for a second. For everyone who's hanging out with us right now, smash the thumbs ups, please. Uh, we appreciate that. Um, you know, we should take this opportunity, Ron, to uh, find out, like, you know, what's your background? How how did you, you know, get into this business? Uh, you know, if you could if you could explain to us, you know, where Riker USA came from, and actually where you came from. Um. Cool. Yeah, I uh, I enlisted in the Marines in uh, 1989 um, from Middletown, Connecticut, and uh, I actually I actually uh, got a call from the recruiter when I was 16, and he's like, "Hey, I heard you want to be a Marine." And I was like, "Yes," he, you know. He's like, "Well, when do you want to meet?" And I was like, "I can be there right now." Rolled my BMX down, and I sat down, did all the paperwork. I honestly, in my head, I thought I was going to boot camp the next day. I thought I was going to camp and i was heartbroken when i found out i had to graduate and um and i could go for another year and a half um mm-hmm. i i tried to tell him i was like hey i'll quit school and get a ged and he was like no you can't do that so mm-hmm. uh i you know my first 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 tour was uh, okinawa japan went to the gulf war from there with a stinger missile battery came back uh got stationed at the east coast um was with um uh, surveillance reconnaissance intelligence group uh, back in the 90s the they had combined um, second force recon second anglico second topo eighth com and um, uh, eight, the engineer battalion and they were like a which be, later became a magtaf which is a marine air ground task force um, i was there and then i went back to okinawa this is where i started my journey becoming a, a force reconnaissance marine uh, i uh, three at over three years in Okinawa, at Lejeune, got stationed in Alaska, and back at Lejeune. Spent the whole, you know, almost my entire career in force reconnaissance commands. And then um, when uh, 2005, 2006, when MARSOC was created, I was at Second Force, and we became Second Marine Special Operations Battalion. Uh, I retired in 2010. My my primary was communications, uh, and uh, you know my whole career that was my primary, you know, in support of, of the missions. Uh, I I was responsible for creating the first Marine Special Operations Communication School. I did that prior to retiring. Uh, Post retiring, I worked for I worked for JSOC my first year out of retirement, and then I was a, a diplomatic advisor. Um, after that, all the way up until I had cancer and, uh, that was about five years post retirement. Um, is, um, let me, and so if I could just, uh, if I could just jump in there for a second, diplomatic advisor, is that code? Uh, it's like what I, I guess I legally can say basically I did here. I'm just saying. Yeah, I did the same job Tig did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, just in another country. Okay. Um, yeah. So then after you know after cancer and everything like that, the whole this whole time too, I've been training. You know, running my own farms instruction company. 
And right about that time I had, can- I had cancer, one of my partners is, we were actually going up to see corn and he's like, dude, you need to invent something. And I was like, oh bro, I got a notebook full of ideas. And we started talking about it and everything like that. And then, you know, we were like, hey, let's, what's it going to take to start this? Mm-hmm. And I'd already done the research on patent application and all this, this whole kind of led us into it. So when I ended up with the Riker grip, I was thinking one dimensional. I made this for me. I just made it for me so I could shoot pain free. When I, prior to retiring, I had bilateral shoulder and elbow surgery. So I got rubber bands that hold my shoulders in and I've got screws uh, and devices that hold my elbows and my tendons together, uh, along with compressions in my neck and my whole spine. When I got into the diplomatic service you know, realm and we're still shooting a lot, I would just find my support arm would go painfully numb on me. And I would come back to the magwell for pain management. I, I consider the magwell an inferior position. <clears throat> my marksmanship is strong enough where I can pull it off, but it's just not where I wanted to be. So I just started doing what I always had to do and finding a way, making something that works for me. Um, I think part of my creativity is being and uh, the other part of that, you know, I grew up in Fort Reconnaissance in the 90s. The tactical industry isn't what it is now. So majority of the stuff that you could find back then was right-handed oriented and so for me it was just always having to make my own stuff or deconstruct or reconstruct so i i just kind of leaned towards that um and then i came i found this moldable plastic and then i started making stuff and i went on the side of the gun and then everything changed and so then we went into we got our patent our patent application got our patent pending status went to the engineers and started developing prototypes and uh, 3D printed ones and then started running them and testing them. And in that, on that path, we started, you know, again, I said, I was just thinking pain-free for me to shoot an AR. Then one day we're like, hey, let's, let's put it on a shotgun. Hey, let's put it on a 308. And uh, like we were shooting skeet with a Mossberg 5 and, and the grip on it. And it was, it was just insane to shoot skeet. We just had Somebody just had a little thrower out there and we were just popping them off. Um, but uh, so we're like, all right, now we're starting to feel faster. Just our transition from target to target. It just seemed so much more natural, less restrictive. And then you do the eye test and you could see that your groups did seem that they were tighter. So we that's when we were like, you know, we want to do this differently and we want to do it right because we know any, you know, as much as the industry is starved for change and wants change, they also fear change. And um, that's why we brought in. We have a a biomechanic specialist who's also an ophthalmologist. We have the engineers and the statisticians that that helped us create the Riker grip with the Riker method. We did find that just by placing the hand out to the side, um, the uh, instead of tradition. No, you know, or like how we were all taught, probably that teacup or even that thumb over, right? You're still holding the weight of the gun up and you're isolating individual muscle group. This is where the fatigue comes in. By moving your hand out to the side, I'm no longer holding the gun up. I'm pulling it back. So I'm using shoulders, back, chest. I'm opening up my shoulder. I'm not straining. I'm not straining the, the individual muscle group. I've improved the blood flow. My hand doesn't go numb. 
uh, you know, and and you can just stay on target like so much better. Uh, then we also found that just by doing this and by pulling, you know, because you're pulling it back into you, you're nice and tight. It helps reduce, if not eliminate recoil. And then another added benefit we found is no glove, no heat. Mm-hmm. It completely removes you from the heat. Um, now, if you do have, if you do have, um, uh, we have a lot of guys that, you know, run I like to call them shaved days. You can put them on an 18 inch gun and their arm is still like all the way out. But um, depending on how aggressive your muzzle brake is, we do recommend that you wear a glove because we have had a couple guys blow, uh, you know, some knuckle, uh, some skin off their knuckles. Hmm. So and then we found the heavier the gun, the higher the caliber and or full auto, you will recognize the benefit instantly. Uh, I think you have a a blue gun there, right? I do. And and just for the um, for any YouTube uh, overlords there, if you show it, this is not a real gun. You know, it's a blue gun. Here, I'll go. I'll go on. Uh, go ahead. You can show it there because we got to show to them that this is a blue gun, not a real gun. Let's show. The, let's show the barrel. <laughs> There's gonna be someone looking at it. See that the barrel's blocked. That's not a gun. Just a piece of plastic. Right. Okay. So, yeah, this uh, grenade launcher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, you know, we, it, this was one of the hardest things that we had to deal, deal with was trying to find blue guns. Um, so just placing it out the side. So even thinking about like guys traditionally using a 203, it's like this. This is going to this is gonna strain the bicep, the front of your shoulder. By coming out to the side, now it opens you up. I'm pulling it back. I can, I can control the weight of the gun so much better. But if I take that gun away, I now have commonality of movement. My support hand is in the same exact position as it is when I shoot pistol, now when I shoot rifle. So now I'm not doing two different, th- two different, you know, positions to shoot two different weapons. I'm doing one shooting platform across three different, three different weapons, shotgun, rifle, and pistol. Um, you had mentioned earlier, uh, like the thumb over bore. We give you all the advantages of why people do thumb over bore and remove the is, is you're still holding the weight of the gun up and trying to manage that recoil by pushing it down. You're over-rotating the elbow, and you're still really just coming in close to the body. When Sorry, guys. I didn't mean to hit the, <laughs> hit the laptop there. But, um, when you have the grip, this is all open. So if you think about when you're wearing body armor, having that big that body armor up here like this, you're not reaching across now. And that's what, for me, was really starting to induce a lot of fatigue because I was I was restricting that blood flow. Just by putting a hand off to the side, it just gives you a little bit more pocket, and it improves that. Okay. All right. Very cool. Um, do any of you guys have any uh, questions? Rolando, I think you're muted, Rolando. <laughs> Wait, is he still? Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry, there was a car outside. Um have you gotten good feedback from women? Because I know that my wife, she loves shooting ARs, but obviously, you know, with being more petite and having less less strength, obviously women sometimes with rifles, it, it's like it's just more difficult for them sometimes. I know that my wife would like that. Have you gotten any feedback from women too? Yeah. I, I can definitely see the benefit because I use I usually do the C-clamp grip because it's more comfortable, but I can see how that would be even better because you have less strain. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, our first sponsored shooter 
is uh, on Instagram. She's uh, it's now Alpha Addy and Tristan. Okay, Alpha awesome. Was uh, ten going on eleven when we launched, and she she's now she's now sponsored. She has her own rifle, her own pistol. Um, they that th- that little girl trains her and her sister train harder than most people out there. They're doing taekwondo and dry fire practice every single day. Yeah. By and, the way, Latina locked and loaded. Your wife just said, "Did you did you just call?" Her <laughs> So. No, she knows what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, My wife would like yeah, so, so Ronald touched on earlier, um, wearing armor, I know the same thing. You know, as your arm's coming over, you're pinching, you got, especially depending on how your setup is with where your plate, how high your plate, whether or not you've got a coated plate, all these things. And then you add in the breasts for the women and it's even more, you know, they got even more of this hunched, everything pushed together with the plate. Uh, I'm super excited to see that. I think I'll, I had not seen this before, but uh, I'm immediately going to order three or four of these uh, and get her yeah. on in a meeting. Uh, so. yeah. uh, and I'll try to get a Hank strange code for you from, from Ron. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make, and I think if my part, if my partners are, are watching, um, Josh, hook that up, make that Hank strange, uh, Go and text it to me or text it to Hank. Yeah, absolutely. We'll put it out there. The, um, she was just you know, tiny, not a lot of upper body strength, having trouble, you know, really acquisitioning targets fast. Got the grip, dry fire practice for a week, went out and just like completely like jumped up from her normal position at the end of the match. And it helped. And we started dialogue with them. Then we had... Reagan, our next sponsored shooter was Reagan, who is pineapple shooter. She's in Florida. And she also, same kind of thing, really got into it. And they're both sponsored and they both got, you know, um, you know, holster sponsor, gun sponsors, rifle sponsor and everything like that. I believe Addy's with F1. Um, Our newest sponsor shooter is um, a tactical games competitor who is also sponsored by F1 up in Maryland. And they're part of 6-8 training group. And they hands down swear by the grip um they actually were running it for a while and then reached out to us uh so one of the things that you know we have found with women smaller think about women in law enforcement a lot of agencies can some agencies don't have the budget to have the ar uh platform for every officer so they allow them to purchase their own but you do have to maintain the the department standard qualification there, I know there's a lot of uh, female officers with their, you know, their body armor, their their lady parts and all of that. It's very hard for them to qual. We have found just by putting the grip on their rifles and then being able to bring it back so they can get around everything, it gives them that ability to qual and to shoot extremely, extremely well and give them one more tool in their toolbox to help them do their job. Um, you've, there's a question from American Freedom Outdoors. He, uh, he says, what type of rail systems do they work on? So we, the one you, when you order your grip, it will come with a traditional Picatinny mount. Running key mount or M-lock, all you need is a minimum three inch penny, and you slide this on, you remove your two horizontal, uh, I'm sorry, you remove your two vertical set screws, get it set up, put it on loose, find your nice position where it's comfortable, Line it up and tighten them down. Um, in the event, and we found this out on the journey, not all, um, you know, not all rails, not all uh, rail attachments are made to the same specification. 
So this is this is designed to have a lot of flex in it. So if you put it on uh, and it's still a little, you know, it's a little wobbly, crank it down, crank it down till the wobble's gone. This is designed with flex. Um, um, the other, option, okay. what's up? No. Uh, and then the other option that we just released is our direct M-Lock mount. Uh, we released this back in uh, April. So if you have, you're running an M-Lock rail, you no longer need that, that piece of Picatinny. You don't need this mount anymore. This is an accessory um, that you can get. So uh, it puts the profile closer to uh, to the rifle. Now I'll show you guys this a uh, little bit, little bit behind the curtain. Um, this is coming out probably at the end of the month. It's going to be part of our holiday thing. Again, we've had guys who've got you know the big, the big huge hands have hit us up and they're like, hey. Um, I love this, but I can't get my fingers around it. So what we're doing is uh, we are we have the short post and we have come up with the long post. So the long post that'll be released uh, in our email blast. So everything we do, we release when we re release a new product, we do it up to our email blast first to take care of our fans. It's obviously it's offered at a discounted price, um, and then we throw in T-shirts with that. So. We're going to offer the long post and the DC mount, which is coming out, which nobody has seen yet. And um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to um, see. <laughs> by the way, so I think there's, the, a question, uh, there's a question from All Thumbs says, yeah. uh, uh, does he have any YouTube videos of people shooting that grip? There's quite a few, right? Yeah. So our page, Riker USA, our YouTube channel, I got tons of uh, install videos, shooting videos, sling demo videos, uh, side by side with it on a uh, on a Mossberg pump shotgun. So there's there's a bunch out there. We just had um, uh, Thin Blue Defense. Uh, this guy is uh, Air Force guy, start just new uh, YouTuber, and he just did a phenomenal review on the grip. Um, uh, last week and his uh, review of the Riker sling is dropping uh, probably in a few days. Uh, so check him out too. That's the most current one. We know we've had tactical riflemen uh, did a really good, uh, a really uh, good, good one a while ago. Uh, I'm sure I'll do some stuff. Uh, I, I do have, uh, he you guys sent me spent one here. Six months going so I'll, uh, I'll get yeah. some stuff up of that too. But um, so the next thing that's coming out, one of the things that we started is uh, we have an email address called ideas at RikerUSA.com. And if there's something that you think that we can approve on or if there's something that you have an idea for and you want to collaborate with, we, uh, you know, we can take that conversation further. And we want to do what we can to, you know, bring we, we consider it Team Riker. And we want if you're on Team Riker, hey, that's we're a team. We, you know, we are we are a family. And that's how we want to do it. So um, our next accessory that's coming out, the ultimate goal for the Riker grip is to have integrated controls. So we have you're going to have your buttons, your light laser side by side or one, two up here. Uh, and then the wires, the, the grip is designed to retrofit the control. And we'll have the, the wires can be able to plug into your devices, your light laser, whatever. Until that, in the meantime, what we've come up with is the DC mount, and it's called the DC mount because our buddy in St. Louis sent us the first prototype, something he came up with. 
So if you guys come up with an idea, we're going to name it. When we make it, we're going to name it after you. Um, that's part of the other thing. That's just okay, like, is the guy's name DC? Because I'm trying to figure out the correlation to St. Louis Doug and DC. Curtis. Huh? Doug Curtis. Oh, Doug okay. Curtis. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, so basically what we have for the DC mount is it's just a little sleeve. It's a piece of pick rail. And what, you, what you're looking at is on here you have this dead space between the top of the rail uh, and the inside of the grip. And a lot of questions are like, hey, how do I mount my light? How do I operate my devices? And I have a couple videos where I can show that, but this is designed to, it's a on our castle nut system. And again, all of our stuff is marine proof. It just goes on, it goes on one way. And uh, the grip goes on the outside like this. So what you have now is I have the ability, I filled up the dead space mm. in between the grip and the rail, and I can put my pressure pad or my light right on here, and I have minimal movement to activate my device. It's, cool. it's right there, it's very close. So this is coming, it will be side specific. It will be left and right-handed um, uh, shooter. So you just when you order, you just gotta make sure that you're ordering the right side. But this is coming again. It's made out of that same nylon infused polymer, um, and you know, of course, you got a, you got a brand. You can kind of see we got our Riker logo right up on there. Uh, that's the other thing too with the M Lock mounts. The Riker logo is it's right on the top, right there on your gun. It doesn't matter if it's left or right-handed shooter. The Riker logo has to be on top. That way, the grip will mount properly to the mount to your rifle. Okay, very cool. Uh, let me go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. Um, on the you, have, have you had anybody or have you uh, tested these with the forty-five degree offsets? Now we can talk about whether or not those are good or not at another time. But assuming you run the forty-five degree offset sights, you know, like the Magpul Pros or whatever, it yeah. seems to me this would be a much better solution because I know if you've got the thumb over and you supinate, you're putting a lot of pressure on your tendons, you get that elbow, everybody's shaking their head. They know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It seems like this is a much better solution to just flip that over and get to those. So my my setup, my, my SBR that I run, I've got uh, one and a four by 24 vortex on, on top, and then I have a 45 degree offset uh, vortex. Okay. Um, uh, I think the Venom, uh, the little arm. And I kept, because the RMR was right there, um, and I, I have, on that gun, I have my flip-ups are on the top of the gun. But I can just, I naturally, and I think it's just one growing up on an MP5, and then the other is just always having a, a ruck on on top of my body armor. I naturally just let my rifle sit at an angle. So it's just sitting in my hand. So if I had to transition from the magnification, it's it's nothing. So the 45 degree offset with it, I do have it on my um, on my AR10 set up that way, and it's it's very minimal movement and super easy, uh, you know, to adjust to. Let me, because um, we got a little bit of news in here. It seems like you guys gave us a code. So All right. I'm, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Uh, thanks, Wanda. <laughs> I'm gonna share yep. that with the folks out there. Uh, so what is it? Um, strange 15 for 15% off from Riker. Boom. Thanks. Thanks to the Riker folks. And for Rolando, I don't know how, like all the whole message came in there just now, Rolando. 
Oh yeah, it's sometimes the chat lags like that. Yeah, so. let me see. Hold on, let me get rid of this other yeah, stuff they, that's in there. They posted it in there. Yeah. So there you go. Strange fifteen for fifteen percent off. Um, you know, uh, thanks so much to the Riker guys for doing that. Um, did that answer your question, Mark? Okay. I think you're yes, absolutely. That okay. was that was probably, and I just assumed you know you can just kind of feel it yourself. I mean, if it's out here, you know, like this, it's much easier than if you got that that thumb over all down through here into your elbow, all of that. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll try to get some stuff up here as soon as I can. All right, what's this? We're we're going to. This is our slang. So our slang was the last. Um, again, this is version one and. We kind of stumbled upon this, and it's pretty amazing. Uh, we actually, and I'll get to the modification that we have made and what we recommend for everybody that's, that has already purchased the sling, but these are handmade by veterans, and uh, what you've got is a, a 550 cord wrap right here, but what is inside of it is, and you can see the, uh, the girth hitch at the top, mm -hmm. is three one-inch strands of mar marina-grade bungee which has been tested through the ringer, through extreme heat, extreme code, sand, salt water, and everything, and it has held up. Uh, what is super unique about this is we recommend a two-point sling. Uh, we recommend that you run the forward part of the sling behind the grip so you don't get a handful of grip, and I strongly recommend behind the pistol grip, and I got a, a bunch of videos about this on our, our YouTube Traditional slings that you have, if you have it tight, to, uh, if I wanted to come on target, I have to take that second. I got to release that tension to come on up. Because of the bungee, I run my sling tight so I could bend down. I could go hands on somebody, medical attention, move something, everything like that. I could stand up. I can throw it over my back. I could pick somebody up, carry, fireman's carry somebody, pistol fight, right? Swing it back around and have it tight to my body, have my hand on the pistol grip and the Riker grip. And if something popped off where I had to come up on target and I say it this way kind of geared towards law enforcement. Law enforcement doesn't walk around at the low ready. They're kind of at a very extreme low ready. I don't want to have to take the time, take my hand off the grip, loosen a sling, then come on up. I keep my sling tight. Something happens. I can pop right up on target because of the bungee. And it gives you this really unique push pull. When you come up on target and that sling is it back into your shoulder even more it works it works seamlessly the Riker sling and the Riker grip together and what I mean by that is if you have the sling and you're trying to trying to replicate that and you don't have the Riker grip and you're trying to hold it like this you're now applying so much grip strength the rifle is eventually going to slip back on you or your hand is going to slip forward um, so it just it gives you a really good push pull and um, really drives it in and also I, I think that it, it really and I don't really know if there's a way that we can test this but I think it, it actually helps with your recoil management uh, um, in addition to the, you know, the already improved recoil management with the grip. I know wasn't the, uh, didn't the original MP5Ks have like a bungee sling and it was just kind of for that purpose too, since they didn't really have pistol braces when they came out. So they had a bungee. So you, it would give you some of that tension. Since yeah, you didn't that, have a, that must've been something like the, the, the seals and the green berets had, cause in Forest Recon, we had a canvas. Yeah. Okay. I think yeah. I think it was the actually. I think it was the Germans. Uh, the Germans that so, had the the bungee slings. But yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah. I've I've heard that before. So that's um, pretty awesome. Night Train wants to know if uh, does Riker USA still make that sling in single point? 
So you can you can easily set this thing up for for single point if you want. Um, you can just bring the uh, other attachment point and hook it into the eyelet up here. Uh, the slings come with HK clips. Uh, when we did our pre-sale, they came with QD mounts and HK clips. We uh, we are kind of like a lot of other uh, people in the industry right now having trouble finding the right product. The QD clips that we were using, they weren't exactly mil-spec, even though they said they were mil-spec and they said they were American-made. Uh, we found a couple distributors, but everybody is kind of so right now we just kind of refer people if you run QD mounts already Amazon the Amazon has some high quality ones and eventually we're going to have our own out there it is just going to take a few months for us to get it there so they do come with the, the, the HK clip so if you want to run this as a single point yeah super easy you just keep the HK clip on there now I did mention that we have another modification on this on this sling um, this was an this was a uh, miscommunication in design the design team and me and there's an extra little strap right here that you can adjust. Uh, what we strongly recommend is you cut that off and then reroute the adjusting loop through. Um, so you have it right there, you have less material and you can get it tighter. Now, when you have it like this, I do recommend when you set your sling up, you set it up with just like a shirt on or your jacket on. No, no chest rigs, no play carriers. You wanna get it as tight as you can with nothing. Um, put on your, your chest ready in your plate. You can just back off that tension a little bit. But you, uh, it works a lot better that way than trying to do the opposite. Okay, very cool. Um, there's a couple of things going on here. If we, if we could just bounce back for a second to what's happening with the numbers. Um, I know the last time I looked um, at the Google thing, Google was saying, hey, let me throw this up. Uh, Google's saying t uh, 264 Biden, 214 Trump. Um, do you guys have anything coming in here, or this is where we left off last night? Uh, let me see. Well, they called Michigan uh, for him officially. Most places have now called Michigan officially. Um, mm -hmm. Nevada's come out and said, we're not updating today. Like, we we kind of flip-flopped. We said we were. <laughs> so we were. Now they're back to tomorrow at noon mm -hmm. Eastern. Um, that they're going to announce the next set of results. Um I think Biden is gaining a lot of steam here. They released the, their uh, transition uh, website with their who their transition team is going to be. That's a pretty indicative move that they have tremendous confidence that they are going to win this moving forward. Mm -hmm. Now that they, you know, captured Michigan, um, I kind of tend to agree with them. I think outside of legal action of some sort. Uh, Biden is certainly going to be declared the victor, at least in the mainstream media, until we get a resolution to some of these court cases. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, two of the things I was really looking at was the lieutenant governor in North Carolina. I think it's fantastic that he won. And then I really, really wanted to see the Republican senator, the, the, the new guy up there, challenging uh, for that seat, John James, but it looks like he's going to be out of reach. He's about 60, oh, 3,000 votes behind right now with only a couple percent remaining. So I don't see a path, once again, other than legal, if the count continues the way they've been counting, I don't see a path for him to win that seat. And I had really high hopes for 
for him to win that seat. So it looks like we're going to end up at 51-49 in the Senate. Uh, that's basically what how I think it's going to go down so right that's now. So with Republicans in the Senate, controlling the Senate, and uh, are they also controlling Congress, or where is that? No, they're, they're, they gain on the House, but they'll be short. Okay. Yeah, they're only going to flip. They flipped five in the uh, in the house. I, you know, I said yesterday I thought they would flip between eight and twelve. I still think they're going to get a couple more. So mm -hmm. I think eight, nine, ten might be possible. Uh, right now, the Republicans have forty-eight seats. They haven't declared Michigan for uh, the Republican Senate. I mean, for the Democratic senator, but I believe they will. Um, so they're not going to get that. And then we're going to get Alaska. Um, you know, so that's going to push them to forty-nine. Uh, and then it's going to come down to North Carolina, which. It's kind of close, but I really think uh, Tom Tillis is going to eke that out. And then we've got uh, Georgia, which I also think we're going to get. But we have two in Georgia because we have the runoff that's going to happen in January. So it's possible they could actually get to 52 because they could win Alaska, North Carolina, Georgia now, and then Georgia in January with the runoff and get to 52. But with a little bit of a cushion, I think they could give up one of those and still keep the – the majority, which is super important because you don't want it to be 50-50 and having Harris make all of the tie-break votes. So. Yeah. Um, so far as uh, the uh, the presidential run, right, I don't think lawsuits is going to solve anything. Once we get to that point, you know, and people are declaring or whatever, they're going to start putting pressure, especially if you control the media or the media already wants it. They're going to say, oh, what are these law? Because lawsuits can go on forever. I th but they won't though. They'll, they'll mm -hmm. resolve themselves. Mm -hmm. They'll just be pushed quickly up. I mean, it's not the kind of situation where the Supreme Court says, "Well, we'll look at that two or three sessions from now." Right? They'll obviously put that at the top of all of the ballots. So you'll go, you know, state Supreme Courts, and you go federal, so and then up to the Supreme Court, the federal Supreme Court. I think it'll happen quickly. I think the difference here over previous, this is purely speculation and opinion, mm -hmm. is that Trump doesn't seem like he's going to want to give up to me, right? I mean, I, it's not like if this was Bush in uh, in 2000, right? Mm -hmm. Bush pushed it a little bit. Obviously, they sued in Florida and waited for that to come out. Um, but I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't see Trump giving up. I'm with you, Hank. I don't think this solves anything. The mainstream media, all the social media, it's all going to be, hey, listen, mm -hmm. you know, be a, be a good loser. You lost. Him and Giuliani are going to say, you know, Giuliani's press conference, I don't know if anybody caught that today, but it's no. pretty telling. I mean, he's like, they're totally stealing this election. This is the biggest fraud I've seen in all of my political career. We're suing for sure at least two states. We may even sue on a federal level. So, I mean, they, they have come out brash and strong. They're not going to let this go. Okay. I'm not a super I Giuliani fan. I think uh, Giuliani is probably the worst thing, the worst advisor, and Trump's got a lot of bad advisors. Julian is probably the worst one, in my opinion. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, Rolando. I know you wanted to say something. Uh, I see. I think I, I I almost agree with your confidence with Biden, but something has been bothering me. And I heard actually it was Steve Dace that kind of articulated this really well today. Something that was bothering me, and I've always been bothered by the fact of why is the left provoking the side that has all the guns? Why why are they provoking this side? Now, either they think that we are we're weak and we'll never actually use our firearms when we think, and I think that that's partially true, but I also think... Dial your microphone if, down a little bit. I think you're, uh, um, yeah, you're a little hot. Sorry, yeah. Mm -hmm. no, no, no problem. Yeah. But I think... Uh, I think That's good. I think that 
there's an element of gaslighting here. I think that they know that Trump, the more things that they say to provoke Trump, the angrier he's going to get and the more likely he's going to say something crazy or, well, not necessarily crazy, but something that's going to inflame some of his supporters that may provoke them over the edge. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is nothing more than the left would want, at least the far left. I'm not necessarily talking about Democrats. I'm talking about the far left. I think that they would want to provoke something to cause right wing violence because it'll just make us look bad. And then they'll be able to use that against us because I think they understand that you're already seeing a lot of Republicans that are kind of chickening out because they're like, well, we've got the Senate. So if we lose Trump, it's not that big of a deal. So we're already flaky. We're not like the left that they will, if this was reversed, I could see a majority of the left saying, no, you have to basically fight to the end. Like you got to fight to the death. Republicans, I think half of us would concede and then the other half, if we try to make a move, we'll basically have three quarters of the country against us because you'll have the weak Republicans that are like, no, man, just concede. It's not worth the fight. I don't care if we get rolled. Like, we'll just wait until the day they kick down our doors and that's when we'll fight. Uh, and then you'll have, obviously, the Democrats and the media going against you. So you'll basically expose, I guess, who the real who the real people who would actually be committed to that fight are and, and pretty much put them in a bad position. Mm -hmm. Because it just I mean, doesn't. Do you it, think? Do, do you? How many people out there? <clears throat> excuse me. Do you think are really going to fight about who the president is? I think. I think that based on the culture war that we're in right now. See, I think. I think that we're in an unprecedented time. So I was never one person to say, "Well, this is the election of our lifetime," but I think you have to take the progressive seriously and what their words are. Because the difference between us and them is that they will always push for the extreme. Because they know that if they push for a look at the Green New Deal, if they push for a thousand percent, if they only get 50 percent, they'll be satisfied. Mm -hmm. The problem with us is that we fight for what we want. We don't fight beyond that. Mm -hmm. So I think let's let's use, for example, the NFA. I don't think that we should push for the repeal of the NFA. I think that Republicans need to use leftist tactic and say we need to push for military grade weaponry to be legalized for civilians. So then they'll say, well, you guys are crazy. And they're like, OK. Our compromise is that we'll repeal the NFA and that you can get fully automatic weapons without paying a tax stamp or going through all these loopholes. Well, I mean, that and comes that, down to negotiating, right? Like, yeah. who's negotiating? I, How are they negotiating? See, they, but yeah. they always negotiate at an extreme level. We negotiate on a practical, logical level because we're saying this is what we want. They're like, no, no, no. We're going to shoot for the moon and stars. And if we only build a skyscraper, that's good enough because it's still way more than you got. You still had to compromise with us. Yeah. So it's like the, the Game of Thrones. It's like the Game of Thrones. Like for yeah. for some reason, we think honor wins in the real world, and to me, mm -hmm. honor is really important. But in an actual fight, <laughs> you know what well, I'm saying? I don't I don't think there's any dirty tricks in an actual fight. Like you do what you have to do to win that fight. That's well. That's why my my viewpoints on like global trade and free trade have totally changed because you cannot have free trade. When you have countries like China that are not willing to follow the rules and take advantage of things. So at the end of the day, it's true. You need to have your honor. But if your honor is going to get you buried and you lose everything, then it's not necessarily worth maintaining that unless you feel like, well, that's what it's all about. You know, mm -hmm. I, I just don't. I think, you know, I'm, I'm obviously an independent. I, you mm -hmm. guys know from last night I voted mm -hmm. independent, mm -hmm. uh, not because I support any of those platforms, but just because I don't support either the other two and the duopoly and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of one of those weak Republicans. I guess you could put me in that class a little bit. I have the view that last night 
was a really good night for Republicans. It was, yeah, it was in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, almost all the ways. Yes, you know, the presidency issue looks like we're not going to get that if that was the camp you were in. But keeping the Senate and flipping some of the House and causing the turmoil that we've caused in the House. I mean, there you just wouldn't believe, you know, some of the guys that I know that are staffers that I get private emails and things from. You wouldn't believe. I mean, they're already throwing laser beams and darts at each other over Pelosi's leadership and the fact that they've lost some seats mm-hmm. and the fact that they know maybe gun legislation is going to come up because he has. Well, what about all of these moderate Democrats in the flyover states that can't afford to support gun? Mm-hmm. They're, they're already running in super close races, so they're going to be fighting over that. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that it was good, a, a really good night for the Republicans. Now, it wasn't the best outcome or a perfect night. Um, but I do agree with what you're saying. I'm just not sure how many people, when it comes down to it, are, are going to want to put their loved ones in harm's way. That's always the question. Yeah, that that's the question. How well, many people over the are over to- the president? Like, who's the president? I mean, I don't think I'm I'm not fighting over any politician because well, I don't trust here's any the of issue. Them. Here's the issue, too. Here's what I think can push a lot of people. I think you have to look at international affairs that are going on right now, because that's also what I think people get focused too much domestically without realizing the importance of the United States as a global leader. And you're seeing Europe go back into COVID lockdowns right now. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's going to fly in the United States again. I really don't. I don't think that a national mask mandate. Yeah. Well, I think the election shows you the election. To go to what Mark was just saying, I think the Mm -hmm. elections show you that it didn't fly. Yeah, I I think it did. But I think that if if Biden comes out and he's like, we're going to have a national lockdown, you're going to have red state Republicans say absolutely not. See, I can see. Who's going to comply with that? I think states, first of all, are going to go. There's states that are going to go. No, we're not complying with that. I I think Republican governors, we need to basically have them hold the same standard that blue state governors do. So in blue states, they legalize all drugs. They don't care that the federal government has them scheduled uh, as Schedule One drugs. They do sanctuary cities. They don't care about the consequences from the federal government. So I think, unfortunately, that, that will eventually lead to a dissolution of the union. But I don't think you have any choice because it, it, it not necessarily like a civil war, but it'll lead to basically the federal government will have no power because I think red state governors basically, let's say that they pass federal gun control. And it's blatantly unconstitutional, but they get it, and the Supreme Court does nothing, or the case never gets there, or it takes years for it to get to the Supreme Court. I could see governors like DeSantis or Christie Nome, governors like that, basically, no, we won't comply. We're not going to enforce those laws. Mm-hmm. Just like you guys don't enforce. Uh, I think that's where it's going to go. I, I think they have no choice because the left has already shown that they their bad behavior is rewarded. So I think until Republicans start behaving a little bit badly. And it doesn't mean that we go in the streets like them, but if it's basically like, no, we're not going to comply, we're not going to help the federal government enforce unconstitutional laws. Basically how you have sanctuary counties, 2A sanctuary counties, whether they're actually real or they're paper tigers, we haven't really seen. Some of them have caved. But in theory, I I could see something like that with some of the governors. I at least think that those two governors would do that. I'll co-sign off on the idea. Yeah. But the implementation, you know, let's just use Florida. Florida obviously just went huge red. Mm-hmm. Florida went red with the with the governor last time. Yet they won't stand up to the crazy Florida laws that were passed 
couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if they won't even stand up to those. You think they're going to stand up to any federal stuff? The, the it, only we just have historical is- examples where they do, they never stand up. Oh, it'll be okay. Oh, we'll fight it in court. I, I just would like to see any example in the United States. And I'm sure Ron could talk about examples that have happened outside of the United States, but inside the United States, I'd just like to see one example. And I think the closest thing we have to that is the Bundy Ranch situation, right? Yeah. I don't think we've had it. That's about the only one that's even remotely worked out. And they basically just waited those guys out and went and got them later anyway, right? Yeah. So at the same time, I don't know one at, example where it's worked out. at the same time in Florida, what kind of compliance with, so there are things that people are forced to comply with, right? If you're a store, you're not selling to anyone who's under 21. Okay, but mm-hmm. I, nothing else is being complied with um, in that stuff. So I'm not. I wish they would overturn it, right? But there's nothing else being complied with. And when I talk to people, most people in Florida, by the way, firearms manufacturers. I remember being in at Shot Show on the Shot Show floor in the booth of a firearms company that uh, everyone would know here. And I was like, Do you know we have gun control in Florida? A Florida firearms company, by the way. They're like, what are you talking about? Is that a joke? They got mad. They thought I was just like making it up. I was like, no, we have gun control. What do you, that's nonsense. You know, Mm -hmm. so the thing is, most people in Florida don't even know about that. And most people aren't even complying with that. I was talking to someone today telling me about, oh, I've got this, I got that thing. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's interesting. (laughs) All of that technically in Florida is illegal. So I think that's the thing, right? Uh, We should not create those kind of laws because what it allows for, like I keep telling people, is if someone pulls you over and they don't like you and you have this gun, before they couldn't use that as a reason to lock you up. Now they could go, uh, yeah, this thing you have on this gun, that's a felony, right? So it, it has to come down to that becoming an issue and, and whether it, or not it, people are going to stand it, up for that person. Go ahead. Who was that? Uh, I was, I was going to interject real quick there, Hank. Is this is where U.S. Law Shield comes in. Yeah. They cover you on that. They cover you on, um, you know, the misinterpretation of laws, you know, by, you know, law enforcement and everything like that, they, they cover you completely on that right there. So that's just like little shameless plug, but yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you, there's one thing that an app that I use, I recommend to all my clients is called CCW. Mm-hmm. I think it's like five bucks a year and it, it I, basically it will keep you out of jail. And, and if you've seen like what you just said about Florida, but if you travel up north, you know, like Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, you know, they're targeting out-of-state vehicles. And just because I'm, throw, I'm throwing through, that up, they up, get you on the transportation laws. Yeah, I'm throwing mm-hmm. that app up on the screen, by the way, for anyone who uh, is interested in it. Yeah, the thing is, is so the, the reason why I'm saying that is a lot of this stuff, what it comes down to is who gets in trouble for it, who gives a damn. And then how do we go from there? So, you know, and, and this, hap- this happens in weird ways, right? So, for example, if you have a really cute blonde chick who gets arrested because she opened up her salon, that becomes a, a big news thing. Everyone gives a damn about that, you know, but you might have someone else that looks completely opposite to that, and that person gets arrested, no one cares. It just really comes down to do people care or not, and do people actually start fighting about it and saying, hey, why is this 
why is this thing illegal? How did this person become a criminal just because of doing something that when they did it was legal, right? And do enough people get mad about that and, and say, yeah, I'm not going along with it. But I think in general, bump stocks, for example, when did the bump stocks get turned in? Mm -hmm. I'm sure most people didn't. Yeah. No, most of them never got turned in. Yeah. And they yeah. have no way to track it. So that's how it is. Yeah. It'll become it'll become like illicit drugs. That's how it's going to be. It'll yeah. be the same thing. They've never been able to stop illegal drugs. They'll never be able to stop guns, especially when there's already 400 million of them out there. Yeah. They don't have the manpower to do it. That so, all sounds great until they're pulling you over or knocking on your door. Yeah, well, absolutely. of course, but 100%. of course. But see, they're eventually going to have to choose somebody that that they're going to set an example with. And it'll be the wrong person. It may not be me, but I can guarantee you that we've <laughs> – Hank had some guests yesterday that if the feds went after them, they're, they're – somebody wouldn't come out of that situation. Let's just say that. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Does that help us or hurt us? At, the, at that point, if they've already gone past that point, it doesn't even matter. I think it doesn't matter because we've already lost so much that there is no – there's nothing to win at that point once you've already gone that far. I think that, that you've already passed the point of no return. Now, I agree. If, if we never get to that point, then obviously that's not the approach that you want to take. But if they've already forced you into a corner, you really have nowhere to go at that can point. I, can I also tell you something? And this is going to hurt people's feelings. Um, the gun issue is a big issue to us. The Second Amendment yeah. is a big issue to us, to, mm -hmm. to us here in this chat, to the folks who are... Uh, you know, hanging out with us here live. Most people just don't give a crap. And most no. of the industry, the firearms industry, doesn't give a crap. They yeah. really don't care. I'm not trying to tell you there's no companies. I know companies for a fact, right? I, especially a lot of smaller companies care about that. A lot of bigger companies, a lot of second, third generation companies don't really care. Um, there may be one or two, uh, you know, second, third generation companies that do care about the Second Amendment. But it's, it's a really tough thing. Most people don't care. If you look at this, like all the things going on in the world, right? I keep telling people, we don't fall into conservative Hollywood. We just don't. How many times do you even see us reflected? Like how many, uh, how many gun guys do you see to actually get up there on a national level? Because I only see Coleo Noir. Mm-hmm. Right. Pretty much. Um, yep. So I don't see the media like, oh, let's talk to guns is such a big thing. Right. It's one of the biggest things selling. All the records are being broken. I see very few people making it anywhere and being spoken to. I've only seen Noir and uh, Pete Brownell um, on a national level of anyone talking to them. So I think what that boils down to is that this is like this particular thing is not a big enough issue that there's enough money behind it. Uh, we said this yesterday. Everyone's just abdicating responsibility to the NRA. People are still doing that. Most mm -hmm. companies out there are still abdicating responsibility to the NRA and other companies like NSSF. I mean, SIG put out a big thing. Oh, we gave a half a million dollars to the NSSF. What does that do? Yeah. When has the NSSF had gone out there and helped anyone? I'm not trying to knock them. They do SHOT Show. Mm -hmm. But what, what else do they do? So that's just really what happens in the industry. And I'm just saying all of that to say that, the, you know, if we look at it, how many people is it that the NRA is supposed to have? Five million? 
Pam, that's been their number for like a decade, so. <laughs> okay, so maybe those are the diehard gun guys, but I don't know because most of those 5 million people don't even know the NRA is pretty mm -hmm. much uh, in big, massive trouble, that the IRS is coming after them, all kinds of things. They don't even know. They're not even aware of that. They're not even asking like, hey, what happened in these elections? Where was the NRA that gets $200 million a year? Yeah. So how many real, like we're asking, I'm just trying to ask you guys, how many real hardcore gun guys, like when you say, hey, there's some people who that's going to become a problem, what's the number of that? Well, I don't think anybody knows because the problem is that, and, and Joe and I talk about this on our podcast all the time, that we in this room right here on IG YouTube, we're a minority within a minority because there's something like 150 million gun owners or more Maybe the NRA has 5 million members. That's already an extreme minority of all gun owners, 5 million out of 160. Mm -hmm. And we know that most NRA members are pretty ignorant about the Second Amendment. Let's be honest. They are. That's why um, the politicians are ignoring us. Yeah, well, because the problem is you have a lot of people that are into guns, but people, but not a lot of people that are into the Second Amendment. And there's a distinction with that. And I think that that's the problem that there is a distinction between being for the Second Amendment and being for your personal freedoms and just being into guns because you think they're cool. And then if they take them away, well, it's like, well, they took away my toy. It's not that big of a deal. So that's how a lot of people look at it, you know. Yeah. Or, well, if they take the guns away from everyone, then I'm okay not owning a gun. Yeah. Because then So then I fine. think that's the thing. Like if we're, if we're sitting here and we're really trying to game out, like what's an event that will happen in America – that's going to make Americans go, okay, that's it. I don't think it's a gun thing. And, you know, I know people can yeah. say, like, whatever they want. One thing I know for sure, like, everyone talks the big game of fighting of until the fight actually comes. Everyone's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm with you, whatever. And when you look around, you're, you're by yourself. Yeah. So, I, so what's really, what do you guys think is really, really the thing? Is it another COVID lockdown? Is it more taxes? Is it when they go, yep, that's it, end of, uh, end of uh, combustion engine car? Like, what is it in America that makes people go, no, that's it, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm not taking this from you guys anymore. And then we get a real, like, radical swing. It's not taxes. Okay. They've, I know. They've gone 90% before. Those of us that, that earn, uh, you know, a, a mid-five-figure or, or even a, a, a low five-figure income, by the time you add in property and gas tax and all the other sales and all this other stuff, you know, we're already over 50% and you put in social security. And if you're self-employed, you're paying 15 of that up to 115 or 20,000, depending upon what this year's number is in. I mean, you're, you know, it, it isn't taxes because I, if 60% doesn't do it, 70% is not going to do it. It isn't combustion cars, right? There's not enough people that care, care enough about Hellcats and mm -hmm. diesel trucks. I mean, you know, that, that's a subset. It's just exactly like what he was saying mm -hmm. uh, with the 5 million out of the 150 million. All those are subsets. I think it has to be a personal freedom lockdown. Mm -hmm. I think that's this, this stealing of an election, even if it's blatantly provable. I mean, 100% someone, either side, it doesn't matter which one, steals the election. I don't think that's it either, because I don't think there's enough of a cohesiveness between the two opposite groups to bring them together on, on any of that subject. It's got to be locking you down, losing your livelihood. Mm -hmm. However, in order to do that, 
they're going to have to to have no form of UBI. You know, they locked a bunch of people down and a bunch of people went along with it for a while because they were making the extra 600 a week and they were getting the 1200 and yeah. although that stuff doesn't go very far, it goes far enough. It's going, in my opinion, they got to lock it down and stop the money. If they do those two things, and really it comes down to stopping the money, whether they lock it down or not. And they're not going to do that. Um, the cat's out of the bag, you, you know, the genie's out of the bottle, whatever you want to say. You know, when you're at the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that we're at, that can never be paid back without one of two things, either a debt jubilee where we forgive everybody's debt, or they print a coin that's worth $30 trillion that the Fed buys on a 500-year note at one-tenth of one percent, you know, a basis point or something, so that basically all they've done is print enough money to give to the government to buy that coin. They've printed the money out of it so low it's worth that they can buy themselves out of the debt technically. That's it. That's the only two ways. You can never tax us enough to ever pay that money back. Forget about it. That's 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 gone. So I really think that that's it. I'd love to hear what everybody else thinks, especially from Ron. His you know worldview probably brings more to me. You too, Hank. You know, coming from another country, I'm a little bit in the echo chamber here, right? I mean, as I've traveled the world and seen some things, but I don't have the granular look at it that you guys probably do. Yeah. What do you think, Ron? Uh, I. I think that um, we are broken. Uh, I think we're broken as leadership. We are broken um, in our country, and we are divided. And I think that majority. Um, Henry Rollins said this. Uh, I saw him at this like uh, impromptu spoken word in. 1999 here in Wilmington when I just got stationed back here from Okinawa. He was in town filming a movie and he did the spoken word at Barnes and Noble. And he was on vacation in a third world country digging wells um, and eating what the locals ate and starving and losing weight and sick and all these things. And he's like, if you want to appreciate your country, you need to go on vacation. And he's like, I'm not talking about Cabo. I'm not talking about Hawaii. Mm -hmm. He's like, go someplace else and give up what you have. And when you do that, you will truly appreciate what we have here. And I think what we're seeing is, is a, we're seeing, um, uh, what's the word is, is it the, indoctrination of 20 years of removing removing faith from school uh criminalizing the american flag the pledge of allegiance you know america the beautiful and everyone getting a trophy um you know and cheering them on i didn't grow up that way and you know there's consequences there's winners and losers if you don't like losing work harder train harder and we've forgotten that and we've gotten soft and the biggest the big we've gotten complacent as a country not not even just as individuals as a country we have become complacent uh, very similar to um you know 9-11 we were we you know I, why can't we come together like we did after 9-11 what kind of just like faded away i wasn't cool i guess you know so i think these people even even the elected officials you know not all of them have lived outside the country have you know done other things you know i was 17 years old when i raised raised my right hand and i, I tell i tell everybody i would do it all over again 
in in a minute. Um, you know, for a, a few reasons. One, I loved it. I loved it. The, the other part is the equipment, the training, the education, and the care that is provided now for for our armed forces and for the special operations community didn't exist when I, you know when I was in. So yeah, but then I got to see all these other cool things. Um, I appreciate where I'm at because of what I have seen, you know, and, and where I where I've been. Um, I actually did a uh, in 2000. I did a. They don't. I don't think they do them anymore. Uh, and we would sail from the east coast and we would go all around and we would stop at each you know each each country i got to sail through the panama canal stopped in ecuador and all the way down and we got to in you know ecuador um i tell you this is kind of like where i realized that i was very ignorant to what it means to be a patriot um i was very um you know typical american yeah like we're we're patriots uh, I never thought of anybody else being patriotic for their country until I went to South America and I got to work with these guys. And I remember uh, Staff Sergeant Duque. This guy was a school teacher um, and uh, in in the Ecuador um, uh, Army, he actually went to Bud's in 1985. Um, so, yeah, he he you know, he went through he wore he wore a trident. <laughs> Which uh, he went old school, and oh yeah, yeah. So and this guy was great, and he and he spoke four languages and everything like this. And Ecuador at the time was so so poor, and we're sitting there and we're talking, and he was like, "Yeah, I he was I make three hundred dollars a month," and we're like, "What?" And he goes, "Yeah," he goes, "I make three hundred dollars a month." He's like, "I'm one of the higher paid people in the military." And um, and so if you do the equation as to what three hundred dollars in Ecuadorian money is to the U.S., it wasn't three hundred dollars U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, then we we continue down, and I'm starting to see these guys, and you know, and you ask them, you're like, you know, why do you do it? And they're like, I love my country. You know, we get to Colombia, and we're working with our counterparts in Colombia, and these guys, the Colombian dudes, when they go to their like their SFQ, their Amphibious reconnaissance course. Their 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 like phase is a live patrol where they're guaranteed contact, and they also have a, uh, a guaranteed at least two people aren't graduating from the class. They're going to get killed on that final mission. You know, so they go out and they are on a patrol. And when we were working with these guys, these guys had M16A2s from Vietnam. None of them had uniformed equipment. They had stuff. They had stuff that we had sent from, I guess, our dermo down to them, and it had been handed down and handed down and sewn and fixed and everything. And we sat there, you know, you know, again, it's part of the thing was the cultural, you know, winning the hearts and minds kind of co- concept. But we sit there and we talk to these guys, and and you're like, why do you do it? And they're like, because I love my country. You know, and we're like, well, why do people join? Why do people join the cartels? Why do people join the guerrillas? And they're like, no one joins. Mm-hmm. What they do is they come down to they steal the babies when they're like two years old. And now these are indoctrinated, much like our kids are indoctrinated now to be soft, to think guns are bad, to think everybody, you know, everybody, you know, everybody matters and your feelings matter and all this stuff. Um, you know, so these kids are indoctrinated 
to be straight axe murderers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the kids that don't, the, a lot of them step up to serve because they love their country. And now I started getting to experience uh, patriotism on a whole nother level. Like as you know, us right now, as we're talking, we have never had to fight for our country within our country. Mm-hmm. We've never had to, we've never had to combat you know, uh, an enemy force. Yes, we have the war on drugs. Yes, we have gang violence. Yes, you know, yes, we have all types of of criminals, but now it's moved on to a higher echelon of corporate espionage. But we have never, in our generations, we have never had to stand there and like, you know, like, all right, I, I wake up in the morning, I grab my M4, and I start patrolling my own street in my neighborhood, looking for somebody who doesn't live here, so I can just, you know, I can stack bodies at the end of the road, right? Mm-hmm. These guys in Ecuador, in Colombia, they do this every single day, you know, and they're fighting for their country. And it is just, it was like, it was so inspiring. And, um, and it made me feel foolish that I thought I was a patriot. I do consider myself a patriot, but I got a very, in that eight months, uh, my education and my my thought process just changed so much. Um, and then it just got even more in depth as we went down, you know, we went to Peru. It was the same thing. We get down to Colombia, um, Argentina, Rio, uh, you know, and it was just it, 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 it was that. So not even being in an extreme, not even being in the global war on terror. And that was all before 9-11. But um, actually, the uh, the bombing of the USS Cole happened when we were on that on that cruise. But it, seeing that, you know, and seeing how these people value their lives and appreciate and everything, you know, uh, that was one thing. Yeah, this is super interesting. When we were in Chile, the um, uh, there was the elections going on, and they had their political propaganda everywhere. Um, illiteracy is huge in South America. And what they did is they had pictures of the ballot of the of the box and they had a red X over it. And we were asking the guys were like, do, do you guys not like this person? Because it was like it was like a hundred yards with a red X over it. And they're like, no, no, no. They're like people here can't. But if they recognize the shape of that name and that red X, when they go in and vote, they're going to put that red X on it. Mm. That's how they that's how they 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 rig their elections. They they feed on the weak. It's the same way dudes are indoctrinated into into the 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 the, the guerrillas into, you know, Al Qaeda. Right. They take the uneducated. They take the illiterate and they just fill their head full of whatever they need to do to accomplish their mission. Um, they're indoctrinating them, you know, for their cause. And it might not be what these kids, but they're not strong enough they haven't been taught, they haven't been led, they haven't been raised to have a voice, to think for themselves and understand that they, you know, I can make a difference. Um, you know, and then just seeing all the other things, like I like I, I, I uh, actually was on the phone with my pastor uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, I told him, I was like, look, I've experienced Ramadan, you know, on a few different levels. And one, it was like, you know, like, all right, brace for impact. Like, whoo, because, you know, again, a little ignorance. We're only like 
cultural studies and stuff like that on, on Arab culture and everything like that wasn't very, uh, it was learned, it was progressively learned as we move forward into it, not at the beginning. We were, we were playing catch up to that. But then I got to, um, I lived in Yemen for a long time in 0304 and I got to experience Ramadan in different, and I had, I looked like this long hair beard uh, on that for that deployment. And I got to experience Ramadan completely different from what I had been briefed, from what I had been torn. And I actually, like, I sat there and we went with our, you know, our translators, our Terps who lived with us, who were diplomatic kids. These these guys grew up in, like, Holland, Canada. They grew up in, in, in yeah, their, their, their horizons very broadened on their, their, their views of the world. But getting to, they, they, it was important to them that we experience Ramadan with them. And we were sitting around and we all talked about it on our team. And we were just like, the world needs to see this. It was beautiful. It was peaceful. And it was awesome. And it was great to have experienced it and been a part of it. And, um, you know, and sadly, now we look at Yemen now, it's just like Yemen is like, we were doing everything we could at that time to try to salvage that, to make it more of an allied nation. And that's, that's all falling away, but you can't fault us for trying but it's the same thing there is there's the illiteracy and everything, but people just want to work. People just want to live and they don't want to be controlled. And I think that, you know, us being the United States that we are looked at, we are revered and people are like, Oh, you know, that's why whatever we do affects the world market. And we are allowing. Our, 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 I can almost, I can almost. This, these little handheld size. Yeah, I can almost set. I can almost set my watch to when you're thinking. There's something over there in your house that's on a cycle, <laughs> and I, I could probably, if I time it, I could probably, you know, there's some device in there that every I don't know 30, 45 seconds or something is sending out. A, it's probably your nanny cam or your um, your um, surveillance system or something like that in the house. Uh, but uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't want to interrupt you because I, I know what you're saying is is really deep, and and I hope people are appreciating it. I think in, in in this is what I think when I look at my sons, knowing how I you know how I grew up, um, and and I think I'm really fortunate. I think every day I look at the stuff that I have, and I'm like, wow, I can't I can't believe that I have this considering you know, where I was born and the things I've gone through in my life. And I always think that we have like so much and yet such little desire to actually fight for what we have. You, you would think that those two things go hand in hand. You would think if you had so much, you would have this massive or an equally sized uh, passion to fight for what you actually have. It's weird to live somewhere and see people who have so much and have uh, like, you know, an almost diametrically opposite desire or passion to fight for it. I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, no, but that's 100%. how the world, that's how America looks to, through my eyes. That's how my children look to me when I'm looking at them. Like, you guys have so much, you don't even, you don't even fight for it. And every day I'm an old man, you well, know, and I get up and I fight for it. Go ahead. But hearing, hearing both of you speak, there's two quotes that immediately come into my mind. And that is, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men and weak men create hard times. I think that 
what you both said, especially what Ron said, just kind of sums that up. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a lot of it. Uh, and uh, I mean, what you spoke to, it resonates with me because my father was in the Navy for 25 years. And uh, after he retired, he did. He actually worked with um, Colombian Special Forces uh, combating the FARC. He was a communications guy, so he helped them with, you know, uh, communications equipment and trying to get encryption and, and, and all that and to tap into the FARC's uh, communications. But, uh, you know, he told me the same thing, that uh, the Colombian military, those guys were, were patriots. And they went through things that we can't even imagine. And my dad spent a lot of time in the embassy in Bogota. And he told me one day that there was this uh, bar or restaurant that a lot of the diplomats hang out in. And literally the week after he left, uh, it got bombed by the FARC. And he's like, that's, that's what you have to live with in those countries. And we've never had to face anything like that here. So that re it resonates with me, the stories that you told, especially with how he's been around. And I've been a Navy brat, so I've been fortunate enough to live in Japan and uh, all over the country and been all over the world. So I see the differences between even other developed countries and the things that they don't have here, let alone, uh, you know, the third world or the second world. So, yeah, yeah I think I think it resonates with people. And obviously, even being from Puerto Rico, it's not the same thing as the mainland United States. And, you know, you can't take for granted what we have here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things like I remember from living in Okinawa is they go to school six days a week. Yeah. The, culture is, the culture is built on work and education. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a very, um, um, I don't want to say chauvinistic, but it's very male dominant society. How they communicate with each other, and like you'll talk to an older Okinawan gentleman, and you like you'll swear this dude is like yelling at you and cussing you out, and that's not it. That's his that's his his stature. Mm -hmm. That's how he talks because of his stature. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that you, you you notice too, and again, I haven't been in Okinawa since '98, but I remember back then is the kids. You had kids in first grade walking to school with no adult, walking their house, walking down the street, going to school. People don't mess with kids over there because if they do, they're dealt with almost instantly. Like you don't mess with kids, you know. So it's just it's just culture. It's and 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 you know I think a lot you know um, where I do some training at out at Lawrence, South Carolina, uh, the Sawmill Training Center. My boy who runs that, Scott Puckett, and, and I, he got me turned on. We started talking about this a lot, and you know we. Fitness, fighting, firearms. You know, you can't be good at just one. And in this whole thing that's been going on, he and I talked, and I was like, you know what? I think I, we're missing something. And so we now preach the four S: fitness, fighting, firearms, and faith. And I think that we have we have lost that, you know. And we have, you know, it, it, you know, Tim Tebow takes a knee when he scores a touchdown to say a prayer. And and for the gifts that he's been given, you know, and he's ridiculed. He's ridiculed for doing something positive, right? Then you have the other athletes who are taking a knee in protests and everything like this. And I do understand that. And I'm not trying to go down that rabbit hole, but I'm just saying it's just that, like, when did faith, when did faith become the enemy? You know, it's the indoctrination process. I think, so, it, I think it, it's it, been the enemy for a long time. I was just telling someone this the other day. Another thing, like I remember this when I came to America, right? Growing up outside of America, 
the number one most valued thing. I actually asked everyone. I'll ask you guys right now. If you're thinking about this, you know, here in America, and you're thinking, what's the most valuable thing that someone you think someone would look at at a kid? Like if you were, when you were a kid growing up, what was the most valuable thing of any kid? Like that your parents looked at, your your, your friends that you looked at, and you're like, ah, oh, this guy. Like what made someone so awesome or so cool and stand out, right? And I asked them that, and they had a bunch of different things. And I said, outside of America, it's your level of intelligence. It's how smart you are. The weird thing for me, I came to America, and it was like, if you're smart, you know, there's something wrong with you. It was almost like a crime to be like that. And I'm not arguing what you're saying. I think I agree with you. I think that uh, faith, discipline has a lot to do with things, but that was massive, I think, when I came to America, that, I, that it's like, no, you're smart, we hate you. You know, if you're, if you're smart, you're something bad. And, and there were actually a lot of people that were pretending to be stupid. You know, and I think over time, we wind up here, where if you're that, it's a lot like Idiocracy. If anyone's seen the movie Idiocracy, right? At a certain point, if you're the smart guy, people are like, oh, that's gay. You know, what, what does that mean? You're smart. Like, you're, you're almost a loser if you're intelligent, if you're seeing things, thinking on a different level. And I think, uh, and I think that same thing is, is, is the mirror of what happened to someone like Tim Tebow, Tebow because he, was, he had faith. Oh, that's horrible. How dare you? Mm -hmm. Right? Well, be, I, I think it has to do with as we move towards a more leftist and collectivist society, religion is always the enemy of the state because the state wants to be the highest power and the highest authority that you have. And they know that as long as people have faith, they know that they can't be controlled because at the end of the day, you're like, this is between me and God. You can take me out, but that doesn't matter to me because I know who my creator is and what they're going to do for me because I'm a believer. And the government can have, can't have that. That's why you see all the hardcore communist nations, they eliminate religion. The Soviets did it. The Chinese do it. You know, they're trying to control the Catholic Church right now. And they're manipulating the Catholic Church in China. That's what they do because they have to be the hegemony, the hegemony of all ideas and control. And so if you have faith, that makes you powerful and uncontrollable in their eyes. And they can't have it because it just it gives you something else that nobody has a strength that, you know, that unfortunately is not that common anymore. Like Ron said, mm -hmm. I think another thing that they've done to go back to Hank's point there's no question zero question that i am where i am today because my mother was able to help educate me as a toddler period end of story now yes there's genetics and all this other stuff you can talk about and you know but there's no question i got an amazing head start because she was able to remain at home by choice obviously and guide me through my early formative years by you know making sure i at the basics, what are your colors? What are your shapes? And then all the way up through that. So that the time, by the time I got to K-5 kindergarten, I didn't do any preschool. It was all done through her. Of course, I'm probably so old they didn't even have preschool back then. But <laughs> there was no question when I got there, I was better prepared than, than a lot of the other children. And I even started in a private school, right? So I, I agree. I, I think that, that one of the things they've done is this, this non-nuclear, this um, single parent, whether it's male or female single parent is beside the point. It's the inability to spend as much time as they would like and have a dependence upon someone else that really doesn't have an interest. Now, I'm not saying that some of the teachers aren't trying their best, but you know, when they're, 
it's hard to have as, as focused of an interest in one child when you've got, even if you just got 15 of them in your classroom, right? How, how can they possibly all get what you could get if you didn't have that situation? So a lot of that is faith. Um, I'm not a person of any particular faith. Uh, I like to think I'm a person of faith, but not of any particular faith. And I think that that plays a big part of it, right? So we've removed that that part of it from society in a lot of ways. We've made things okay that in the past were never okay. And it's starting to put people at what I believe is a disadvantage. Now, that doesn't mean if you come from a single parent home, you can't be super smart or super successful. I'm speaking more in general generalities and, and, and overall as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think of that, Ron? You know, it... it Think my, my wife's back, she was a teacher, assistant principal. Uh, you know, she double mastered in uh, childhood development, elementary education. So when it comes to my son is four, he just turned four. Um, so when it comes to him, that I kind of like fall in line. I do what I'm told, uh, you know. And so she, you know, she works from home. I'm very fortunate. I'm, you know, retired stay-at-home dad. So other than when I'm, you know, teaching, you know, people how to shoot and stuff like that, I'm with my son. And, you know, what you had just said kind of makes me think of what we're doing with my son right now. Um, He's, you know, he's not your normal four-year-old. He's been riding a bike for seven months with no training wheels. He started when he was three and a half, you know, so it's just like he's very advanced. He can, um, you know, he he can write some letters. He he can spell a bunch of things at four. He knows his colors, his shapes. But the biggest thing is, is like we don't let him have a device, until he actually has when we're driving on a long trip and he has an outdown but what we like to do is we like to like constantly talk talk about our surroundings and I'm, what i'm trying to do with him is develop his situation awareness now mm-hmm. as a kid from our house he can tell us how to get everywhere that we go in town he can tell me how to get to to dane to to db guns and ammo he can tell me how to get to costco he can tell me how to get to his cousin's house like he knows how to get there. He can tell me where to turn and everything. Um, and he can do it in reverse too. He can take us home. So it starts, it starts exactly what your mom did for you. That's where it starts. It starts right there. It starts with that foundation, you know, going a little further with that, my, you know, Riker's backpack for school and our hiking backpack, he has a med kit. Now his med kit is Paw Patrol and Avenger Band-Aids, but <laughs> But his, I've already planted that seed. Mm -hmm. I've already planted the habit. So as he gets into first grade or second grade, he's going to have pressure dressing. He's going to have tourniquets. He's going to know how to use these things. And that's it right there. That's what we need to do. I just did uh, three weeks ago. I ran a class. It was family, father, son, mother, daughter, grandfather, grandson. uh, You know, that had 10 people, 10 adults, uh, five adults, five, five children, uh, you know, all minors. It was phenomenal. The youngest was eight years old. The oldest was 15. It was amazing. But they all decided, like, we, we need to learn this together. They want to change the culture in their house. So I think it's education and everything like that. I have started finding, too, is more of the people that are coming to my classes are very faith-based, um, you know, very faith-driven, and realize that, you know what, even God had soldiers, so, you know, on those, on, on, on that side of things. And, and so we're doing, um, and, 
And it's good. I'm, I'm kind of like, I lean on him a lot. I'm taking advantage because I kind of forget things. And I got my little, my little voice recorder right there. He remind he <laughs> remembers everything. But, um, Hang, I did want to touch on this is, okay. is, is naturalized citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it has been like, it's the biggest insult to, uh, the, the, the weak border security, you know, traditionally by, you know, by the left and the amnesty and all that for the people that came here and did the right thing. I think it's, it's absolutely horrible. I've met a handful of people in my life who are all quality. I'm sure you guys know who Five Finger Death Punch is. If you ever have opportunity to, to meet Zoltan and listen to his story, like it had me in tears on how him and his family fled communist to come to the United States for a better right? I had a Marine uh, who worked for me who is now, she's now, she was prior enlisted, she's now a major in the Marine Corps from India, family came here, earned their citizenship. Mm-hmm. And I remember her telling me she came home with bees on her report card and her dad like whooped her bad. And he took it as an insult that she was being lazy and she didn't respect the gift that they had by coming to America and having the opportunity to become American citizens. Mm-hmm. And she's carried that through her and her drive and everything. and. And one of the best human beings I've ever met in my life. And you sit there and you talk to somebody who's a naturalized citizen and you will realize they know more about the country than our lazy asses who were born here. <laughs> and we take things for granted. You know, we and we take things for because like we're here. Why do I need to know these things? I learned them, whatever. But it's just it's just on that side of things. So it's just the education and it's the value. You find value in this. You know, you came here and you've raised a family here. And I just think that, you know, there we have twenty two thousand plus gun laws on the books. I bet we could eliminate twenty one thousand of them because they all are redundant. They all are the same thing. And somebody just wants to put their name on it. It's the same thing for the immigration laws. We have immigration policies that are amazing, but pe- people just want to keep changing them just to get their name out there and get their name in the history books. And that's wrong, and it's disrespectful. Yeah. There's a couple of things I think. I mean, obviously, you know, um, I think there's lots of Americans that are that are patriots, right? Uh, I believe that. A lot of the stuff I learned from Americans, you know, people who appreciated it. But I think it's not cool anymore. That's the thing. And I think that you, like in my generation when we came here and these guys that you mentioned who came here, in that generation it was a great thing. But when I look at kids now, either kids, like how Lola and I both came here, we immigrated here and we naturalized, but our kids were born here. When you look at their kids or their kids or even young people who are coming to America now, that's all going away. There's no one teaching those things anymore. It's not cool anymore. It's like, hey, don't pretend that you're happy to be in America. You should be mad that you're in America. You know, it still owes you more than to be here. Can, can I, I sure. ask a question? I'd like, you know, all of you guys, I, I fall outside of this um, completely. I, I don't have, I mean, I have friends, so I have an opinion. You have an opinion on everything. But what about the, um, 
however you want to call it, the, the you know the illegal aliens, if you want to use that term, or you know whatever term you want to use for the non-citizens that are here. Do you support um, them having a, a guaranteed pathway to citizenship with, uh, with without kicking them out of the country for all of those people? Um, obviously, with some sort of criminal history review. I mean, I think almost all of us can agree on a well. <laughs> we should all be able to agree on that. But how do you guys feel about um, giving everyone a guaranteed path to citizenship that's here? Not automatically, not uh, sweeping, you know, we're going to let it, you know, we're just going to announce it for everybody. But listen, we're not going to kick you out of the country, uh, but you've got to follow this plan. Is that something that you guys can get behind and believe in? Or do you just think, no, if you're here illegally, we should, or is those two options too polar, too black and white, we need something in the middle? Uh, Rolando, you want to go for this first? This one's always tough because I guess I'm the Hispanic, even though I'm Puerto Rican. Um, I personally know enough immigrants that came here legally that find that offensive, that they did everything the right way. They put the blood, sweat and tears. They made the sacrifices and they spent the money. So because I know so many people like that, I don't believe in that because I've seen so many people do it that I don't think it's an excuse. And I think that the people that come here illegally are oftentimes exploited. They're exploited by two different groups. Obviously, we know that Trump mentioned the coyotes and the cartels during the debate, and you know everybody made fun of it, but that's absolutely true. Yeah, because so we have, the uh, we, coyotes carry you on their back. They're actually animals like in Narnia. Yeah, exactly. But no, <laughs> we have a huge illicit sex trade, and the Chamber of Commerce in the United States basically values slave labor. That's what it is. So I think... You might want to propose that, but you'll actually get a lot of opposition from the powers that be because they don't want to lose that monopoly on 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 cheap labor. There's no so, question about that. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, but yeah. on the offensive side, I'm not talking about a sweeping. You get to stay. I mean, a literal path to citizenship. So, so, and, so, so can, I can. Period, I mean, I think you already have. If, I think you kind of already if have. If I can, one. if I let me say this, let me say, yeah. not if you're being detained. Well, let me say. Let me say. I mean, like a. You're here illegally. Hang on, Hank. Let okay. me just get this mm-hmm. 10 seconds out. You're here illegally. If you come and meet with DHS or whoever you want to to put on uh, in charge of this and get on the list and start following the path to citizenship, we will guarantee we won't kick you out of the country as long as you're not a violent criminal, yada, yada, yada. So that way, those people that did it the right way, and I've got tons of them mm-hmm. uh, that are my friends as well. Don't feel like they get shortchanged. These people have to do the same thing. They have to go through the classes. They have to do the citizenship. They have to do the background checks. They have to do all of the things. But make sure that that happens. And then if you don't, then, you know, I mean, just some way to I mean, maybe I meet in the middle. Like, I actually live through what this. What will that do to minority unemployment in this country that is already bad? Because right now, most of those people are, unfortunately, they unfortunately for them, they're living under the shadows. They're getting paid under the table. But once you give them the path, they have to work legally. Can we sustain the burden of 30 million people? Because it's probably 20 or 30 million. It's not this 11 or 12 million that they use now. Mm. Can we sustain economically the influx of 20 or 30 million people that will most likely be on unemployment, most of them right away? Because you will not be able to get that many jobs for people, especially when we should be encouraging Americans that really should be taking a lot of these jobs themselves to, to do that. You know, that's if Americans want the jobs. Let me can I just say this because I actually live through this thing. You know, my my family came here in 1983 with a visa 
through JFK Airport on a plane, <laughs> all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then we overstayed that visa. And then uh, my dad uh, applied. There was a, I guess it's called sponsoring. Like, so if you work for mm-hmm. a company and they they decided to go through this whole thing with you, they could sponsor you being able to come here. You have to fill out all this paperwork. So we did all of that stuff. And um, from 1983, it took till 1992 where we could actually get our green card and I had to leave the, the, the whole family had to leave and go back to our, one of our last port of entries, which was England. Right. So we had to leave and do that in 92. Before that, there were people who I knew who got amnesty. So there was this path that we were on, but there were all these multiple paths. And there were people who I actually helped out who had just come into the country a year, two years before that, you know, fill out some paperwork, boom, you don't have to go anywhere, you could stay here, you could do whatever you want to do. And we had to, like, spend all this money, leave, go to another country, we had to stay in England for, like, a month, you know, figure out, like, where are we going to stay and all this kind of stuff while we were over there, go to the American embassy, go through all kinds of background checks. The worst part of that, my older brother was too old. So it was basically my parents, or my dad, his wife, and any kids that were under 19, and my brother came in right over that. So from he, he stayed here and didn't get anything until like 2005. That's how long it took him on his own to do any of that. So I'm telling you all you, you guys all of this because this is how crazy it is. And the amnesty was given saying like, hey, we're going to stop doing this. And in order to stop doing this, we're going to give everyone amnesty. And then whoever's on the path, they'll go on the path and we're never going to do this again. The problem is, I think, with immigration is the same problem with guns. No one wants to reset to zero and go, we're going to get together and fix all of this. And whatever we set out, that's it from now on. Right. Mm -hmm. So with with immigration, it would be like we reset it or, or close it. And like, this is it. This is the end. This is the rule we set. This is the line. Everyone gets on this line. There's there's no exemptions. No, if you're from Cuba and you touch you know, you touch the, uh, the beach over here, you're good to go. You can do whatever you want. If you come from Haiti, we're putting you right back in the boat and sending you back over. Like all of that, all of the different paths, I think, is what just creates this problem. And everyone's trying to game the system. Oh, let me just wait a little bit longer. Maybe they'll do that amnesty thing again. And I remember back then, it wasn't the first time they did the amnesty. And everyone's like, how many times are we going to do this? We're just going to live in a vicious cycle and we're never going to solve the problem. And I think it's the same thing with guns. If people, you know, it's like when people say, uh, we should, you know, are you willing to give up something and negotiate? Okay, let's go right back to zero to the Second Amendment, okay, and start from there if you want to do things because there's already been a bunch of things given and taken and this thing and that thing, and you're not really going to solve it, you know, by, by trying to figure out, like, who's wrong, who's right, who got the most and all that kind of stuff. But on the gun thing, isn't that... Unicorn rainbow farts. I mean, that's never going to happen. It's there's a zero probability, not even a zero point zero zero one. Without a complete reset in the country, there's some sort of, you know, civil war type scenario. That's never going it's to happen. The same because thing the immigration. Stuff, it's the same thing for immigration. Then it's the exact same thing. If you can't solve big problems, then you'll never be able to yeah. solve any of them. Then then we're just going to fail as a society. That's it. Mm-hmm. If you if if yeah, you well, don't you think that's it then? Because obviously. They've been, it's just like we talked about yesterday, and this is what worries me about the Second Amendment. It's just continually eroded and eroded and eroded 
and our side of the uh, of the ledger never wins anything. Um, isn't it just going to erode down to we either got to stand up for it, not legislatively, because that's not working, or we just have to let it go? What is immigration? What does immigration come to? Everyone's just trying to get in now. However, they could get in. Can I get in on a plane? Can I get in on a boat? Can I get on this train? Can I come across the board? Can I do this thing? Can I make tunnels? Okay, they fill this in. We go, you know. They put a thing. We go deeper. We go higher. I mean, so that's the same thing for guns. It's the yeah, same, until, until you fix stuff. Yeah, until you have like an authority that, like Hank said, where you have this is the rule, this is definitive. There's no loopholes or anything. You can't solve that problem. And the problem that we have with immigration is that let's be honest, the Democratic Party sends agents to countries in South America, and they basically say if you make it to the United States. We're going to give you all these tax incentives and everything. They lie to them. So everybody's getting screwed in that situation because uh, illegal immigrants are coming here thinking that they're going to have an opportunity that's not going to happen. They're basically going to work for slave wages in some sweatshop that, that nobody knows about in the middle of nowhere, or they're going to die on the way to the border. But, you know, companies don't care because they get free, cheap labor. The Democratic Party doesn't care because they might be able to eventually turn some of those people into citizens and they'll be built in constituents. Uh, the Republican Party probably participates in it through the Chamber of Commerce as well. They just act like they're above the fray and they just don't admit it. Or it's a good boogeyman yeah. for the Republican Party. Exactly. So it's just another thing to throw out there. You know, they always perpetuate problems. I, I know that they go in their back rooms and they're like, OK. So this is what we're going to argue about today. But it's only so that people think that we're opposed to one another on this issue when we're not. So as long as as long as people think about it and they don't see us go to the back room and smoke cigars afterwards, it's all good. Yeah. And even if they do, we can still convince them otherwise, because we'll just say they're going to take away your guns or they're going to do this terrible thing. And that's it. And we get pissed off and we buy into it. Every how time. do you fix so, a How do you fix a closet that's like I know I've got closets like this, right? Or like I have a shed right now on my property that's nothing but junk, right? How do you fix that? How do you mm -hmm. fix it? You take everything out, and whatever doesn't go back in, you throw it out, right? Yes, but you have unilateral control over that, right? Yeah, and, that's the problem. And, right, so I hear what you guys are saying about what all the issues are, but what is? it seems to me like the solution you guys are proffering, that the way the only way this comes to a good outcome is if we reset to zero. Other than that, I haven't heard you guys tell me anything, and I don't see a path, and that's why I'm asking you guys to explain to me, what is your path to reset to zero? Maybe because there is one. We're probably closer to tearing each other apart and go, I don't, it's, it's, not, I, it's not a fun thought for me, but we're probably closer to that than actually working stuff out. We're in 2020, we have all this technology, we have all this wealth, we have all this awesomeness. Right. And what are we doing? We're destroying each other. I've never seen just talking about Trump. I've never seen any president in the times that I've been here in America or looking at America. I've never seen them treat anyone like this. I mean, I remember Reagan being hated. Right. I remember Bush one being hated. I've never seen anything. Like, Trump basically if this if he loses or this is a thin victory, it's based on the media just smacking him upside the head every single every single day. We are closer, and I hate to say it because I know there's people who, you know, feel like, oh, you're fear mongering, or you're you you want to profit off of saying that we're like close to a civil war. We're closer to that than fixing anything. I think. I so, think. Oh, I think when you look throughout history, I think history is your guide here, 
And most democracies don't last more than two or three centuries. It's just a fact, that's the trend. It's something in humans that just eventually causes us to blow up our societies. And if you think every other major country in the world that even exists today, how many governments did they go through? Even Great Britain, they were a monarchy. They switched to a parliamentary monarchy and now they're a, a, a parliamentary democracy. So they went through multiple shifts in their governments and they went through essentially revolutions with Ireland and things like that and even uniting the kingdoms. Germany was like six different countries over multiple parts of its history. You know, Turkey used to be the Ottoman Empire. There's almost no other country in the world except for the United States. Maybe China's been around longer than everybody else, but even they've gone through different dynasties and uh, forms of government. Japan used to be an empire, and now they're a, a, a constitutional uh, country as well. So I think it's possible that maybe we're reaching the end of our life because we've moved so far away from our principles and forgotten that we're a republic that we've made ourselves into every other country where we have a strong central authority that eventually everybody gets fed up of and they want to blow up the system because we went too far away from our principles. And so, it's possible that that's the way that it is. So you guys are basically calling the game. The game is over and we just got to wait for the whistle to blow and then we're going to empty the stands, tear it down and start from scratch, right? That's what you guys are basically saying. There's really no other realistic path to fixing this and I'm not including Ronald because he hasn't said anything yet. <laughs> but other than Ron, you, you got to be guys scared of the quiet guy, especially well, Ron well, is man, never I quiet. So I, I, I know I him. him. That's why I can't wait to get to him. But you two guys are saying you you don't see a path to recovery. Is that correct? I think we have it too good. I think everyone's thinking, man, am I in the matrix? No, 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 no. Yes or no. I don't I'm, I'm just telling you. That's what I think. I, I look around and think maybe this is too good. Maybe we just have it so good that it's like, no, I'm not going to do anything about it. And we're not going to actually try to fix things. We're not going to actually try to deal with problems or deal with our common problems. Because it's like, look, we could, we could fight forever about who's president. I don't care. But there's genuine problems that we can deal with in America that people could sit down and say, okay, let's deal with this. It's not, and, and you know, like there's, there's problems that we could fight about, like guns, right? We could fight about that. But there's things that we could sit down and deal with, but we are not going to. I don't feel like we're going to do that. So, so yes, you're saying yes, you're calling the – there is no path out of this other than waiting for it to burn up. I and feel it's like how long does it take for the majority of people to realize that we're in the matrix and start burning things? There's just a couple of them doing it right now. Basically, like I think like Antifa and BLM and all that is just crisis actors, right? But so those guys are just, they're just trying to light the fire. At some point, there may be a fire. It may take us longer than other, other countries are there. They're trying to put back the lockdowns in other countries and they're like, hell no. And the people are getting mad and doing whatever. And we're getting in, we're getting into other things here, right? And we're getting into distractions. So my answer to you is, I don't feel that that's tomorrow, like I'm going to wake up tomorrow, but I do feel like sometime soon, as I always tell people, it's like the aliens. When do you wake up in the morning and the president is saying, hey, there's aliens, they're real, that we're giving them your children, and then people go, what? And then they start fighting, right? There's something that's going to happen, you're going to wake up one day and everyone's like, that's it. We're not, I'm not going this route. And maybe to what Rolando was saying, we're just going to break up and we're not going to be a big, massive United States of America anymore. We'll be Florida or the South or something from the Hunger Games or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's me. That's what I'm saying. I don't know what uh, Ron or Rolando think. 
I think I'm kind of inclined uh, inclined to agree with you. I think it could be salvageable, but it's going to require a large majority of the country or at least a large portion of the country to be on the same page with that. And I just don't think that we have that. I don't think that we have that anymore. And I think that if we didn't have external forces like the media and social media, I think it would be possible. But the problem is social media is essentially built to gaslight people. That is the purpose. The more rage and anger that you have, the more that there is. So I think social media injected something into us because I complain with this to my wife all the time. Growing up as a millennial, I remember going to college in 2005 and my friends were of every race, uh, ethnicity and culture. And we used to joke around with each other politically incorrect. We would make race jokes. Everybody was cool about that. Everybody was great. We all got along. Then social media came along and unfortunately Barack Obama became president. And I think that that shifted everything because if you didn't agree with Obama, they called you a racist right away. So that blew up almost all the progress that we started making. Not that America was perfect, but I think my generation was starting to get to the point where uh, racial issues within our generation were not a big deal. It was the past generations that were kind of uh, holding on to those remnants and it was dying off with each successive generation. And then something happened with social media and everything that just triggered rage and anger as the way that you get clicks and things like that. And I think that that kind of took us backwards from where we had gone uh, on top of other things. So I think that was a wrench that nobody could have ever anticipated. And, and I think it's causing problems. Now, will we, will we fall apart and, and balkanize and fight each other? Maybe, or we might become sheep like China, where, like you said, where if they give you UBI and they give you the creature comforts, people will just take it and, and, and that's it. And so we'll, uh, like like the quote from uh, Star Wars that uh, Padme Amidala had, how does democracies die under thunderous applause? It's like, we give you free stuff and everybody's like, yay, this is great, I don't need anything. So that's how China controls their society now. They basically give them enough to feel enough freedom and to have enough things because you go to China and the cities are impressive. There's no doubt. You go to Shanghai and you're like, wow, even New York can't compare to this. How did they do this? It's because they give them just enough and to nothing, feel okay. Nothing belongs to you, though. It's just exactly. like being a billionaire in Russia. What does that mean? Well, look at how many subscription services and things that we're, we're okay with now. Everybody leases stuff. Everybody rents things. Everybody finances stuff. Nobody owns things. So we're already used to not owning things anymore. We're being conditioned that way. Property taxes. Do you even own your own house? No, you don't. So I think we've slowly been conditioned to this anyway. Yeah. And, and it's going to be really difficult to go, to go against that because it's taken decades to get to this point. It would, at a minimum, take decades to reverse it, if not a massive, you know, revolution or something like that. Yeah. What do you I mean, think? That's right. What do you think about this, Ron? And bear in mind, we're over the nine o'clock hour. <laughs> I don't want to go to seven and a half hours again. But this is one of the reasons why I really love Mark. I wish you would do this stuff with me more. Oh, it's great. Because yeah. Mark, I, Mark will have awesome. us here for like. You won't even notice the time going by. No, I've loved it, Mark. I appreciate the questions. I think it's great. Yeah. What What do you think about this, Ron? Um, I, I like I love what you, Ron, what you said about you know your your feelings about it, and I think it's great. I think we're we need to come together. People need to have personal accountability, and they need to put their feelings, leave them on at the door when they walk in the room. And they need to look at the greater good of the country. We have a population problem. We have uh, a, a company that is going deeper and deeper into debt every day. 
And if the more we keep giving away things, the more we keep giving away, you know, free housing, the free, free medical, a, a free education, all these other programs for them without the return, without the return of their tax dollars, without the return of them actually doing the right thing, we are going to com- diminish the value of our country. We are going to diminish our platform, our security and our borders, internal borders. Now I'm not talking about the perimeter, I'm talking about the, the state borders. Mm-hmm. And it's going to create more of a divide. I think that, like I said, there's enough laws on the books. And I think we need to have almost essentially erase all the laws, expedite the laws, and come up with a process. You have to check in these. And again, now we're talking about job creation and monitoring and, and working and everything. So almost like a guidance counselor. You know, or a guidance counselor slash headhunter, helping develop these people, helping to develop them, helping them navigate and learn how to manage things, how to get a house, how to, you know, pay your bills, how to have your insurance, how to do all the things correctly. And, and there's no right answer for it. You know, it's just it's it's going to take a program. It's going to take a solution. And you and the other thing, too, is you said was, you know, it took what, 10, 20 years to get us to this point. It's going to mm-hmm. it's going to take that if not more to actually get to that point but the hardest part we're at we're we're so you know below the ground right now you know it's it's going to take us a long time to dig out of this hole because everybody's concerned about feelings Mm -hmm. like now when you when i don't know if you guys have bought a gun in the last two months but when you fill out the form, it's no longer male, female, it's male, female and non-binary. They've added that onto the form, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just like this. This stuff is just it's it, it's got to stop. Um, but the immigration thing is just um, I think there's a process. And I think, like I said before, it's just respectful to everybody who did it correctly. And I don't care that if you've been here, this, that and the other. I, I think that we give them you have a 90 day window. And within that 90 days, you have to do A, B, C, and D. And when day 91 comes, if you don't have all four of those things completed, you're out. You're done. Um, you know, I, and I, I, it might be kind of harsh, but here's the thing. They throw gay dudes off roofs. They stone. They mutilate. So that all they can do is reproduce and not have any, you know, any sensory, you know, pleasure, you know, to their body in other countries. And these people don't understand that. And they think that we should just open the door when we're not we're not we don't know who we're letting in and we need to do the background checks. And it's not offensive. You know, it's not offensive to make someone have an ID. It's not offensive to require an ID to vote. Uh, you know, it's it's not offensive to require this because this is if you make it, this is what you have to do to become a citizen here. You have to do these things. If you don't do them, go back to where you came from and and think that you're going to go back to your country and do this. Um, there's a funny show, uh, Lilyheimer. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I think it's on Netflix. It's got uh, Steve Van Zant in it. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Guys in Sopranos, he's a uh, Springsteen's. Um, he's 
he sells out and he goes into Witsec and he's like, yeah, I want to live in Lilyhammer. And he thought he was going to go over there and be an all cool, but they made him become a citizen. He had a, in, in his, in his part of the show and he had to become a citizen. It was a sick, and it wasn't just like, oh yeah, take a test. It was a six month, like college course. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. had to learn the history of, of, of Norway. You had to learn us. You had to learn the language, all these things. And that is what, what, what you need. You need a program like that. You need a school like, yeah, you can come to this country. You're not just going to go to work. You have to do this. So if that's funded by tax dollars, but everybody's doing everything the right, and then you have it almost like what they try to do at, you know, when you get out of the Marine Corps with your, or in the military with your transition stuff, they try to help place you into the workforce. So you play to your strengths. Um, I, I, I think in all fairness, the people the rules should be the ones stepping up in the policies. I, I, I think that if you, um, if you were born here, you don't understand the struggle. And I think uh, a good way to do it would be to make the committee based off of people who were naturalized. And that is that those are the people who are in charge of immigration going forward um because you're not going to get a more truer say again they certainly have the most skin in the game for sure i mean they're the ones that worked i mean i I didn't do anything i just got lucky right so i I agree with that i think that's a fantastic idea i hadn't heard that before but i love that i think that is a fantastic idea it's too bad that we can't all just like take over the country (laughs) Yeah, that's what everybody and just thinks. Just run that. shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what AOC and uh, all those uh, young ladies are talking about right now. Uh, well, yeah, you know, it may it may come to that, man. It may come to that. I would rather fight for I would rather fight for America. I mean, where I was born is, is a beautiful place. It's mostly Amazon, and it, it's it's basically called like a land of 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 a thousand waterfalls. Uh, it, it's such a great place, but I would rather fight here than like put together a massive force and try to go back there and take it over and re and, and rebuild and all that kind of stuff. And you know, I I don't know. I this I think this was a good conversation. I think that folks out there, we're going to be waiting for some time to see what's going on, and I hope that people realize. Um, you know, even if your guy didn't win and become president, at the end of the game, at the end of the day, this game is going to keep getting played, you know, and we just have to keep playing it out, um, you know, uh, and it's more to me like a Game of Thrones kind of thing, right? We have to have our honor and everything amongst ourselves, but when we're fighting this fight, we have to fight exactly the same way that they do, but from our uh, honorable position, um, but for sure, none of this is going to get solved. I'm trying to like do this stuff. I did what we did last night, put in like seven and a half hours, got home basically drunk off of tiredness, <laughs> you know, to, to help a lot of people out there with it. And, and I'm doing this again. I hope that it, that it helps people. Um, I also hope that we can get Ron to come back again when we can like get so deep into the cool stuff that he's doing and who he is. I know we're having like uh, a different conversations here. Um, you know, and I, I don't know what else to say, except I'm going to ask you guys to tell the folks out there how they can uh, get in touch with you after this. And I'm going to probably start with Mark. And I really do hope, Mark, that you do more of this kind of stuff, man. Yeah, all you got to do is give me a call. You can't find me anywhere. So I, I don't have any followers. <laughs> or I, You can find me on the Hank Strange channel. Yeah, That's he it. pops up every now and then to cause trouble and then goes away. <laughs> And then when he's ready, he comes back to cause the trouble again. 
um, and I have to deal with it. But um, yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on, Mark Rolando. How can the folks out there uh, support you, keep in touch with you, all of that? Uh, well, you can find me at Puerto Rican Pistolero. So if you see me in the chat, that's how I have it on all social media platforms. Uh, my wife and I are the Locked and Loaded Latinos. We have a podcast every Sunday at seven o'clock Eastern time. Uh, we talk about similar things to here, and we also go over the Constitution and the Bill of Rights in English and Spanish, so that we can encourage people who might be, uh, you know, new to the United States, or you might have uh, parents that. Uh, immigrated here may not know English. They can learn about what it means to be an American and what the foundation of this country is. Yeah, absolutely. So. I, I encourage you and Joanna to have Mark, have Mark come oh, on yeah. the show as well as Ronald. Oh no, I, I love the discussions tonight. I think having crit critical thinking, challenging one another, is one of the things that our society has lost, and I think that that's a problem with the youth today that they can't even articulate their beliefs or even think about why do I even believe the, what I do? It might be the right thing, but I don't even know why I believe what, what it is. How did I get here? Mm -hmm. So I think conversations like this are great. They challenge us and it brings out ideas that we may not even have thought of ourselves because we're just locked in our own echo chambers all the time. Absolutely. Ron, um, you know, what should the folks do out there if they want to learn more uh, about Riker, the grip? Uh, I know you sh we, we talked about the sling as well and some other accessories. And if they just want to, you know, reach out to you. So uh, email is ron.holmes, H-O-L-M-E-S, at RikerUSA.com. RikerUSA is our Instagram, our Facebook, YouTube, Parler, Twitter. Now, I blindly post to Twitter. I do it all through Instagram, and then I, I post on Parler, but it's all RikerUSA, R-Y-K-E-R. You guys um, – our social media, you know, on that, we aren't big enough yet where I can, you know, bring in somebody big, but, uh, that, you know, DM me, email me. And generally once you, once that conversation starts, I'll just be like, Hey, look, you know, here's my cell. Let's talk. It's going to be a lot easier. Uh, sometimes too, again, I have a four-year-old, I'll put my headphones on. It's a lot easier for me to navigate the day, uh, hands-free talking instead of trying to text. Um, but yeah, so, you know, and then the other thing too is, you know, I'm, like I said, local to Wilmington, North Carolina, I run training here. I do everything from North Carolina concealed carry permit to, I have four phases of advanced concealed carry. Um, I call, I have a shotgun appreciation course, which is a lot of fun, uh, transition courses, carving courses, like anything. Yeah. Uh, and I going to come do some stuff with you at some point. We just need to work out the schedule. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the big thing that we got coming up, uh, 20 through 22 November at the is a uh, holiday tune up. So day one, uh, day one is going to be advanced concealed carry modified shooting positions, how to fight out of your vehicle, shooting around a vehicle, not shooting glass because the demo vehicles are going to be our personal vehicles. And that's kind of what we want you, you know, we want you to respect the property because that's kind of what you're going to do with yours. We start talking about the concealed carry lifestyle and mindset, and and well, Hank should come to and bring the R8. We can shoot in and around the R8. Mm, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and and uh, uh, and then in the in the towards the late afternoon evening portion, we're going to do the shotgun appreciation, which is you'll need 50 shells, and basically we set up um, stands with 25 clays, and it's a it's a shooting moving obstacle course. Uh, letting you understand the difficulty of what it takes to maintain a gunfight with a shotgun. Uh, you know, not everybody's going to walk around. 
and with the battle belt of shells exploding. So this is what what that does. That's why I call it shotgun appreciation. And then day two of that is going to be our transition course. This is to teach you how to operate. Obviously, on everything we do with rifles, we encourage you to try all the Riker line of products. So I have them out there for demos uh, and for purchase. But we want to introduce you to the Riker method. But transitioning rifle to pistol. Uh, we do a lot of medical scenarios, and what we do is we build up to buddy shooting, and then we build up to shoot, move, and communicate drills. So you'll have a scenario, you'll have obstacles you have to go around, and you have to rescue a down shooter, which is a 120-pound dummy. We give you the medical scenario. Now one person's putting down a base of fire, one person's doing medical stuff. But where this gets tricky is, in all my classes, rifle mags are only ever loaded to eight, and pistol mags are only loaded to six. So I'm going to force you to transition. I'm going to force you to change mags. You can't shoot, move, and communicate. And it is a great way to expose uh, deficiencies. It allows you to test what you think works, and it allows you, gives you instant feedback, you know, on what doesn't work. So again, Riker USA on Instagram. DM me if that's the easiest way for you guys to get a hold of me. Um, you know, and then if you reach out, you know, we got the, the discount code strange 15 for everybody that's watching, you know, um, we appreciate all the support on that. We are a service disabled veteran owned small business. And, um, you know, we're, we're really just trying to go grow. One of our goals is to become, uh, become a higher end weapons accessory company. So we want to be able to put our, all our own line of products. So when you're looking for a grip or a sling, you can, you can do everything one stop on our website and that's, that's where we're working towards. Um, but you know, all you guys, thank you. I'll come on any, I'll come on any time for either of you guys. Um, okay. And what's the website that people, awesome. I, I had no idea what to expect tonight. Uh, oh yeah. Our website is <laughs> yeah. it's RikerUSA.com. Okay. And people can find out about the training stuff there, right? So the best, well, the best way to find the training tab is on there. Uh, the best way to, to to schedule training or to find out about training, I post it on Instagram okay. or just just message me. We don't really put all that on uh, on there. That the the training tab on the website is to start the conversation as to what you're looking for. Okay, awesome. All right, listen. So I'm gonna cut it short here. Big thanks. Well, it's not actually short. I'm cutting it long. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, big thanks to Walter. Big thanks to uh, my friend Mark Beard Almighty as well as uh, Puerto Rican Pistolero and Ron from Riker USA. Um, don't forget to smash those thumbs ups, guys. We're getting out of here. I'm going to run the end in. Everyone stay right there. It comes the end. Boom. Make sure you guys uh, smash that subscribe button, ring the bell, so you can be notified whenever we go live. We're going to pull out the audio from this and put it up on iTunes. Right now, you could go on iTunes and uh, find seven and a half hours from yesterday it's a lot of fun <laughs> you could spend the whole week going <laughs> through that or on a long trip i really appreciate all these guys being here as well as all of you out there i'll be back tomorrow and then i'm going to take uh the rest of the week off so um we'll see you guys tomorrow we're out of here who wants the fat the final word last word who's it going to go ahead go ahead Ron. be the change be a good human and be treated others how you want to be treated. I, it, that's that simple. Amen. Thank you. All right, we're mm -hmm. out of here. Peace. Take care, everyone.